0: This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by McGinty's Meal and Ale, your home of live sports and hearty Scottish food. Situated at 504 Union Street, it's a great location for your pre- and post-match refreshments with taxi rank and bus stops on the doorstep. From casual catch-ups with your friends, to live music and celebrity sportsman's lunches, McGinty's has had a place in the heart of many dandy dons for the past 13 years.
1: Slight of foot there. It's Wednesday and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 43 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott, joining me this week. As always, it's Gavin, Jay, Baxter and Graham
2: Steele. Gents, how's it going? Good, thank you. I'm still trying to wrap my head around the segment we just recorded with the Dogger Saints podcast, guys. And <laughs> very shortly, the listeners will understand why. Looking forward to it. Stay with
1: us to find out which one of the five honours referred to their wife as being a low-rent Lana Wolf? Stick with us. It's coming <laughs> up soon. In a week that saw football karma rear its beautiful, beautiful head at the Smyza Stadium, with Charlie Adam setting up the opener for Simran to all but consign his boyhood heroes, Dundee, to the drop, that saw Dumbarton's side featuring January signing Greg Wild take the drop into League Two. That saw John Yogi Hughes taking another team into League One from the championship. You know, he should have got an interview for the Scotland job, you know. Should have got a job for the Scotland. Should have got a job? Should have got an interview for the Scotland job. You're absolutely right. No, no, and just the
3: job. It was so good. Just, just got the a, interview.
1: Just the job. job. done. And that saw Sevco and Hebb's sponsors the Ponzi scheme, NFT shillings, Sportamongol go bust. Who'd have thunk it? It's another busy episode of the ABZ Football Podcast as we take a look back at our 1-1 draw with Hibbs in the capital. We preview our upcoming fixtures with the two Saints as we round off our SPFL Premiership season. With that chat with the boys from Bulger Saints, trust me, you don't want to miss it. We check in on the women's team and their 4 one defeat to Hibbs in SWPL1. We take a regular look at the young team and after the break, in the week that marks the 39th anniversary of our European Cup Winners' Cup triumph in Gothenburg, we bring you part two of an interview with the man who scored the winner that night, in Sweden, it's the one and the only John Hewitt. First, Hibs won, Aberdeen won the 7th of May 2022 Easter Road in the SPFL Premiership. Gav, break out that 10
2: to a two game undefeated streak.
1: A point which mathematically ensures we cannot be relegated this season. Let's just toast it now. Lovely stuff. Let's get down to business.
2: Are you too big to uh, toast surviving relegation?
3: Thirty-six games, toasted, fucking <laughs> avoiding relegation. Jesus Christ!
2: How about to only two games left to go?
3: Yes, I'm absolutely on board with uh, with that version. Cheers, cheers, cheers!
1: Two changes for Jim Goodwin from the side that beat them the last time out. Ross mccrory returning from suspension and a first professional start of his career for American Dante Polvara. Calvin Ramsey and Christian Ramirez dropping out the official line on Ramsey as he was dealing with a slight thigh or calf strain. But the rumour mill continues to build that a deal's been agreed in principle with Liverpool for the 18-year-old. And it could be the case that he might not be seen in an Aberdeen shirt this season. The Dons back in a typical 4-3-3 formation favoured by Jim Goodwin so far. McCrory in it right back this time with Polvara sitting alongside Barron and Ferguson in the midfield. The Dons nearly off to the worst possible start within four minutes. Gallagher a judged to have passed the ball back to Joe Lewis practically on the byline um, from the resulting free kick. Hibbs's free kick specialist, Ryan Porteous, apparently, his effort was smashed off Gallagher and went behind for a corner kick. The Dons then settled into a fairly, what would we call it, boys? Atypical performance? Nodding heads. Lots of ball, really looking threatening with it. Fairly good shot for a penalty kick on 22 minutes when Lewis Ferguson met our Johnny Hayes cross on the volley, which appeared to strike Paul Hanlon on the arm. But resident Muppet Bobby Madden decided nothing to see here and awarded the corner kick. Melkerson going close for the home side a couple of minutes later. His effort from outside the box whale-tipped round the post by Lewis before Hayes went close with an effort from a free kick at the other end, which Matt Macy put out for a corner. Matt Macy's a funny name, isn't it? It's unusual. Matt Macy's a funny goalkeeper. He's a funny goalkeeper I saw somebody tweet this this week It was like eight years, it can't be eight years He's probably not that old It was a couple of years to the day where he he was playing for Plymouth I think, and one of his players was down injured In the box, and he tried to throw the ball out For like,
2: oh, He uh, was injured
1: Yeah, he was injured, he'd injured yeah. himself, that's right and He tried to throw the ball out to get like some attention And I think it was Scunthorpe they were playing maybe I don't know, the boy just runs up the wing Catches the ball before it goes out And just like, basically lobs the ball over the top of him the net Beautiful stuff, proper shit Great. Anyway, moving on. A fairly predictable end to the season feel for this one, Easter Road, as the teams both went in goalless, obviously, because it was a nil-nil draw. Um, on 53 minutes, the Dons grabbed an opener from the most unlikely of sources. A Hayes cross after an attacking free kick had broken down found Galker at the back post, and his knockdown was controlled well by David Bates, who lashed home an instinctive finish to send the Dons one up, and for one Aberdeen fan. It was all a little bit too much clambering onto the park to celebrate with his heroes. Now, the official Aberdeen site described David Bates' finish as Duncan Shearer-esque, which I think... <laughs> it's the hair colour. That's the only-esque bit, isn't it? <laughs> I, I think so. Or whoever was running the Dawn site last night had got fairly scoofed into... A few pints in the capital yesterday afternoon.
3: I'm sure we'll, we'll go into details in details. a tidy finish, but I'm not really sure I'm having that in the same breath as detect- uh, Duncan Shearer. I'm detecting
2: a theme here with David Bates, because what is he? He's the Ginger Ramos is his nickname, isn't it?
1: That's it. That's the one. Um, well, we might come back on that again later. Marley Watkins decided uh, his season was up, pulling up just after the hour. He's replaced by Christian Ramirez before Funzo King Ojo took to the park to replace a tiring... Dante Povara, which took a bit of a change <clears throat> to the system as well at this point. King Ojo going into right back with McCrory moving up into the centre of the park. And the Belgian was involved straight away for all the wrong reasons. A hilariously badly executed diving header clearance failed to Newell six yards out and it was only a miraculous stop by Joe Lewis that spared the Belgian's blushes on that one. Bates should have made it too, just before the 80 minute mark getting his head onto Hayes' cross, which was nodded over the bar. Hibbs got their inevitable equaliser on 83 minutes, Jasper tormenting Ojo down the Aberdeen right. His cross was nodded across goal by Scott, who got above Bates way, 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 way too easily. And Paul McGinn was there to swoop home from close range. McGiaghy Montgomery replacing Barron and McKenzie before McCrory also had to depart the pitch following his point-blank block from Doig's effort, which saw the Aberdeen number 2 withdrawn due to Cogu- Concussion. Maybe I've been hit in the head with a football. Due to concussion <laughs> protocols Andy Constantine appearing for the first time since Carabag away on the 19th of August for a 15 second cameo as the game fizzled out. Please, that can't be the way that Andy Constantine's career at Aberdeen Football Club ends. It more than likely probably will be. With Livingston and St. Johnston playing out a 1-1 draw, at Vale it's not and Vale, Tony Mack, I about The draw confirms the Dons Cannot be dragged into the relegation playoff. The season is now effectively over. St. Mirren's win over Dundee, dropping the Dons. their 10th, though, in the table. So, you know, there's one negative thing to talk about, I guess. Just guess,
2: the one. Just the one. <laughs> Your thoughts on that one? Right. So I thought I was going to try and bullshit my way through this, but I'm just going to be completely honest. I hiked up Benahy on Saturday. I got home at roughly five past three. I was aware that you could order the game from Hibernian TV, and I very quickly talked my way out of it. So <laughs> did not see it live, seen the highlights, good finish from Bates, pretty poor goal to concede. Joe Lewis, very good. At the end of the day, though, the weekend was all about making sure that we were not in that relegation playoff. Mission accomplished.
1: You don't have your notebook, Gav.
3: Let me get the record out.
2: Yeah, get the record, not the daily records. In the meantime, Graham can uh, chat while I work this out. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I didn't watch it either. I'm going to be honest, I didn't do anything nearly as energetic as Gav, but (laughs) I fell asleep with the cat, and by the time I woke up, I'm not not tuning in for this, because we all knew it was going to happen. Well, I I think we'd all probably thought nil-nil, but a pretty drab draw It's what we'd all predicted, and that's what we got. But one small crumb of comfort is, okay, fine, we are in division for another year, but absolutely disgraceful that we are at this stage chatting about that.
2: Got the record here. It is Jim Goodwin to date two wins, four defeats and
3: four draws. Which isn't great. It's the the furthest
1: thing from great, to be frank. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, fuck it, might as well. The of disclosure, I didn't fucking watch the game either. So this is a, a quality piece of uh, reporting coming away from us. It's so bad. Where no, did you no, get that match report from, by the way? Well, I pulled it from watch. I watched the highlights. <laughs> it's pretty clear, isn't it? From the from the, <laughs>
3: from the match report. Like it's it's like we said before. It's it's the copy and paste, the bulk yeah. of any match report from this season, with the exception of maybe the early European. Swap out our scorer. Probably keep who's at fault for our goal because that kind of has repeated itself, and then job job done. It writes itself. Keeping a segue about King Ogier doing something stupid. And, we must you know, have yeah, watched yeah. the
2: same highlights because you've neglected to mention Ramirez making an arse out of a one-on-one.
1: Yeah, I haven't seen it. I know I saw people talk about it. I don't know. I mean, that doesn't sound like it's out like with the Realms of Possibility now, does it? So, um, The thing I was kind of almost most intrigued about yesterday was probably the Dante Polvara performance because it was the only real curveball that was in the starting lineup. We'll come on to some of the comments Jim Goodwin made later on. I'm kind of pleased to see that he's decided to give him a, a, a go because we are effectively in the three dead rubber territory games now uh, after the win against Dundee last week. I know there was still the mathematical possibility we could have been caught by St. Johnston, but realistically, I don't think it was ever really going to happen. So I'm kind of okay with the idea about let's get some minutes into Povara, Let's see what he can, let's see what he can do. Let's see what he can offer. There's been, you know, plenty of conjecture out there online about his abilities or otherwise from a lot of people who haven't seen him. So, um, always good to get an opportunity to, to have a look at a player. He's also had a, a small cameo appearance at uh, Ibrox, and he came on.
3: I think he came on at a home game. Gabby, he came on against the
1: home. He, I was there too. He came on against somebody. I'm to
3: I've never seen him in person, so. Well, oh, I mean, it must have just been you and I. He definitely came on not yeah. long to go. Uh, yeah, anyway, it's good that he's getting a run out just uh, for his sake, if nothing else. I, mean, I think it's Hibbs actually, was it? Was it hips Whole, might, be the the tips, actually, there, might be in
1: against actually. I think it was Um, so I kind of put it out there on, on on the socials to kind of like get feel from people who had actually watched the game and who therefore could at least provide some sort of um opinion about how Povara did. Uh, this is always a dangerous game when you start to take comments off of social media, but hey, there we go. On the whole, everything I've seen about Povara was kind of reasonably positive in the sense that people weren't saying he was horrendous. I don't think he. I don't think he pulled up any trees. It's fair to say, from what we can see, but he didn't look particularly out of place.
2: From what I saw, more positive than negative. Yeah, you
1: know, Kevin Smith on Twitter. First half, he was neat, tidy. Didn't do anything bad. Really, didn't look out of place. Massive step up in pace and physicality for him, which is which is going to be a, a key part to this. I guess you saw with um, Chris Muller. You know, Hibs were very vocal about the fact that he couldn't cope with the pace and the physicality of the Scottish League hence he was going back up and that's a guy who's played at least at MLS level um, this is Dante making his very first professional footballing start against Hibs on, on, on Saturday Kevin Smith continue massive step pace and physicality bear in mind it was played at a meaningless end of season pace so that does need to be brought into I can't, I'd play him for the last two injuries May dictate that anyway Which is a true point Obviously McCrory being taken off with the concussion protocol And Conor Barham was hooked as well With what looked like a, a potential injury So there is the possibility that Polvara will Certainly appear in the last couple of games George BD, I thought he looked tidy enough Although he looked to offload it as soon as possible Not to take on responsibility I don't have a massive issue with players offloading the ball quickly If they're moving the ball quickly through the lines Making quick passing I'd rather that than dilly-dallying on a ball For fucking 30 seconds to be honest with you but that's okay for a first proper pro outing. Two-footed can see
3: him grow with confidence, a decent start. Yeah, that's fair enough. If he, I mean, but like he says, there's, it is his first start in a different sort of pace and everything I don't really have a problem with as long as he's just not hot potato and getting rid of it. You know, if he's popping it off to a teammate and he doesn't necessarily want to take that responsibility at this stage, then that's fine. Keep the ball, don't do anything daft. It's your first time out. Seems pretty solid.
1: Yeah, definitely. Mark Haskett did fine, although he seemed a bit timid in the air going for tackles, particularly given his size and athleticism, which is a point. He is a big lad, um, so you would like to think he would be able to kind of dominate a little bit from that perspective. He'll need to work on that to be really effective in this league, I'd say. I think it's a fair comment. Mal Dunbar, he did well, fine touches and positioning, same type of midfielder as another six at the club, though all suffer as we don't have a number 10 uh, central defender, still woeful. I guess we'll come on to that. That's not a comment about Dante Polvara, but there we go. Willie Beatty, oh, I only saw the second half, so he saw 45 minutes more than the three of us did. I felt he was off the pace, and his distances were too big to not put pressure on his opponent. Now, that might tie up the fact that I think a lot of people who did watch the whole game said he maybe did tire as the game went on, which is not to be unexpected, I guess. Uh, Gav Grant thought the game passed and by, to be honest. Tidy enough of what he did, though, I guess. So... No glaring hurlers. Don, Bean Leone, do looked neat and tidy and showed once he's up to speed. He'll be an asset. Wasn't scared or intimidated by the pace of the game. Much better than I expected. Seems the stories of those in the know about him being awful were, well, shite. There we go. Truthsayer. Some good... I love this. I love this. Some good first touches and a bit of passion, but not much sharp. I'm going somewhere between Scott Severin and Leon Mike. That is a (laughs) wide wide range you've given yourself there to place anti Varit in, although probably not the widest range you'll hear this evening. All I'm going to say, wait for that Dogger Saints in, uh, segment to come up. Michael, we had uh, at Mike34775 on Twitter, very tidy possession, good feet, held the ball up well and brought others into play, did well. So again, mm-hmm. some positives. And just for some balance, Eric Wincanton, he's not the calibre we need. Short and simple, straight to the point. So, <clears throat> Again, I I didn't see it. didn't see the game. None of the three of us have seen the game. Difficult to really judge. I suspect we'll see more of him now between now and the end of the season. We'll be interested to see what he does. Jim Goodman was very non-committal about him. I think all he said was, he did okay. I think it's the direct quote about how he did a
3: out, which is very... It's not the usual sort of bigging them up on their debut, especially as a young young guy breaking into the team, never mind the fact that it's a sort of different league and all that style, but I guess some managers play it one of two ways. You're either bigging them up and trying to boost up the confidence, which builds the hype and can yeah. cause problems laterally, or you just try and you know just dampen down expectations. and um, not necessarily for the for the player themselves, but just for the likes of us. The manager thinks he's okay, must be okay, but actually, maybe behind the scenes, he's a slightly more positive outlook on it. So we'll see what we get. It's only one game in, but you'd like to hope that given that there's absolutely nothing it's take for the rest of the season. Why wouldn't you just chuck him in? I predicted earlier this season that Dante Waller would not play a
2: minute's worth of football and would be gone next season. So I think it's actually a sign that he is doing some good things that has made him good win with plenty of other options on the bench. You know, we had pretty much our entire midfield cast available to him that he's shown the faith to have a look at Dante within... The context of an SPFL top flight match obviously you know you can have all the training sessions you want and work out ability and whatnot but you only learn of his ability to handle the league in actual competitive games so I think he will probably feature in the remaining two fixtures and it's a big big two games for Dante as far as his future at Aberdeen I think.
1: yeah I think the interesting thing is I mean Goodwin is certainly you know and we're going to come on to Goodwin in a minute he's certainly not shy though about you know, deciding people are not good enough or whatever in his eyes. And you know, we've seen it with with, with, with Jet, we've seen it with Scott Brown. Maybe not a question about whether he was good enough or not, but you know, what he could bring to the table. <clears throat> He's made the decision very early, I think, on a number of players who have their contracts come up at the end of the season that he doesn't fancy and doesn't want them to be here for whatever reason. Fair enough. He's been, I think Povada's probably been on the bench, I think, for the vast, vast majority of Goodwin's games in charge. Now I know we've had some injury issues around those those games, but if Goodwin genuinely thought he was hopeless, he's not getting anywhere near the first team squad, is he? Um, and so to give him the option to stick him on the, the the pitch, to give him a start, I was I was surprised to see he started the game. Um yesterday I knew there was a lot of rumors going around early doors about Ramsey missing the game. I predict I I'd suspect it'd be Ojo at right back in the the traditional middle three of McCrory, Ferguson Barron. So I was quite surprised to see the Polvara news when it broke with us. Um but yeah, you're right. Let's see what happens the next the next two games. Hopefully, for the for the player's sake, you know, it gives him a bit of confidence that the manager's looking at him, willing to look at him, will put him in the first team games, and he gets a good preseason under his belt. And we'll see where we go. It's a bit of a. I think we all spoke about it in January. It's a bit of a. It's a punt signing, isn't he, Povara? And it'll potentially work out. And if it works out, it'll be amazing. If it doesn't, then you'd expect he'll be back to the states pretty promptly, um, and we'll never hear about him ever again.
3: Yeah, but like I think we all said we're all right with that. Yeah. I mean, our, yeah. our transfer strategy has to be bring, well, obviously bringing youth isn't a transfer, but where we have a small amount of money, I kind of want them to use that on, you know, as much as an established name as you can afford to get. But chucking a few quid at the likes of these guys from somewhere else that people maybe aren't tapping into, I've no problems with because all it takes is one of them to work. And you've, you know, you've more than, then got back what you paid out or you might get a little bit more. So we're absolutely fine with the the plan of getting him and let's see if we can maybe see a little bit more of him the next couple of games and see where that leaves him come pre-season, basically. We would also add, I mean, I guess we were saying it's unlikely that St Johnson were going to go on a run and we were really going to be in danger. But, I mean, mathematically, still needed something out of the game. So to put him into a game when you actually needed something maybe is a little bit more of a voter conference rather than he just played him because he had to. I made a somewhat rather flippant comment on Saturday when it
2: the chat was coming through that he was doing well that there were people who had decided he was shite from the minute he signed who were probably having to keep pretty quiet and I'm I'm glad to see that was the case. Um you know he if we're if it's to be believed he had interest from Germany and the Bundesliga so it, has, and Tibbs. it tends to suggest there's something there and tips of course, Ibs. of course, Ibs. Uh, him and Vicente. Um, obviously, though, you take that with a pinch of salt because you know it's easier for teams in the Bundesliga to chuck a couple of quid at a youngster, and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't really affect their balance sheets or their or their playing um, endeavours. He's got a lot going for him in terms of that his athleticism, and yeah, I think just, we're all interested to see. You how he does, because yeah, if it works It it'll work out, it'll be it'll be good for us, uh, if it doesn't, then yeah, he'll be packed off back to the States like a young Jacker.
1: Absolutely, um, after the game, Jim Goodwin announced, and this wasn't in the official club media, I think it came through some of the other media, um, that he he decided to go with an 11 uh, to begin the game with, of players who were under contract for next season, I think it was very much the kind of classic, go and show the fans and show me, you know, why you deserve to be in my thoughts for next season type thing but he would also told six of the nine players on the bench that they're not going to get their contracts renewed or are free to find other clubs and that, that obviously got quite a uh, how would you describe it? It, it i think a lot of people on social media took that as being like some sort of major revelation but it's probably not really is it
2: two of the guys are on loan yeah so i would i would take that as we're declaring we're not interested in bringing them back yeah Considine and ruth it's public knowledge are away Mm-hmm. ojo mcgeek out of contract not a hint of any chat about them renewing we've open talks with the players he does want to keep johnny hayes for example we're very publicly talking about getting another goalkeeper so yeah. gary woods here's the door and then yeah that leaves what Connor mclennan and christian ramirez and we've all talked about mclennan and ramirez has chucked it so but it would not shock me in any way shape or form if none of those nine are here next season
1: I wouldn't be surprised at that at all, in the slightest. I suspect that that's one of these kind of classic, it's all about the wording, isn't it? Like, he's probably not told Ramirez. I know know that pre-game, again, there was all the chat that, you know, as far as he's concerned, Ramirez is part of the squad for next season. No one from Ramirez's camp has come and told him he wants to leave and all that sort of stuff. But I, I suspect that won't happen until the season ends.
3: Until Ramirez is
2: on the plane to LA.
3: Yeah. Even from a negotiating standpoint, like, it weakens our position if we come out, for a guy under contract yeah. saying he's gone, we don't need him or we don't want him, you, you're going to be talking him up. So if anyone is potentially interested, obviously they probably know how the game goes. But you want to send out the message that he's under contract. So if you want him, you're going to have to you know, pay him to take him off our hands rather than another guy that we're paying off. So there's maybe just yeah. a bit of playing the game there. Yeah, I
1: imagine so. And I, I agree with you, Gavin. I, I I could see very easily a scenario where none of the nine that were on the bench uh, are still at Aberdeen next next season? I could I could very well see that t- sort of scenario um, come to pass, which I don't have a you know, problem with. I don't have a problem with either. I, 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 if I'm honest, I, I think we've spoken about well. Gary Woods. I mean, my thoughts about Gary Woods as a goalkeeper have been made very clear on this podcast through this season.
3: I would be more than happy. I will will I personally drive him to his next club. All I will say is with the, like I've said before, the budget we've got, it's going to be difficult to have two like genuinely interchangeable number one goalkeepers, because I just, don't, I just don't think we've got the budget for that. I know evan has got their view on him and he probably was a little bit more disappointing. I thought he might be when he got that run in for Lewis. I can see why people want to change him. I guess where I'm going with this is I'm not so sure you're going to get a significant upgrade on the bench for next year. I'm not saying there aren't better players out there. I'm just saying I don't think our budget is going to stretch to a genuine number one just sitting on the bench, but I'm absolutely happy, as often the case in this podcast, to be proven wrong. I've got a proposal. Oh, Alan Robson. Yeah. Alan Robson's a good keeper. Yeah, no, I would I would second that. I would second that. He's also got a season ticket, so you like, wouldn't really have <laughs> yeah. to pay him because he can get in for free. <laughs> yeah,
1: there we go. That would be literally the contract. You, just, you can watch the games from the bench. That's it, done. That's a reference for the three of us and the guys who play Fives with us on a Thursday night. That's literally about it. Um none of the other guys I don't think are surprised I me. Mean, obviously, Con McQuennon's under contract. I, I suspect if somebody came in and said they would take McQuennon off our hands, we would probably say thank you very much.
2: McClennan might stay here as an under contract, but I suspect he'll be on loan at the very least. But I do wonder with McClennan I wonder if that he might be the kind of player Goodwin might like because he could
1: play a number of different positions and so he adds a bit of flexibility. He's probably not very expensive.
3: He's played over a hundred times now, you know. It's another season of Connor mclennan And if he is playing different positions, not even getting a run in any position where he can demonstrate any sort of form, just cut your losses. I'm sorry, there's always this point when sort of one of your younger guys has come up through the ranks, you know, 100 appearances and he's still here. I can't quite get my head around that. I feel that if it were the case that he were part of the plans, we'd have seen him more than we have. I would
2: agree with that. I think the last time we saw him was maybe was it Ross County? I think it
3: was where he kept trying to beat himself in the touchline and basically the ball (laughs) run out. That or United. I can't quite remember what game it was, but yeah. Well, your point stands. I think you're absolutely right. If we were going to, if Goodwin fancied him for next season, he's had more than enough opportunity to play him, and he and he hasn't.
1: I think um, there's some real
3: mixed reactions and views about on
1: supporters, you know, from supporters on social media after the game. Uh, As well, specifically in relation to Goodwin Actually and his kind of decision making During the game And I do feel that this is something that's becoming more and more prevalent As the weeks go by as well now That more people are I think really starting to question Jim Goodwin and his approach to games And his mindset And about how he's approaching games And how he's approaching substitutions Decision making during games as well I feel there's more and more people doing this now And its I feel like it's becoming... I don't want to say... It, it, I feel like it's putting pressure on Goodwin now to get off to a good start next season because I feel that credit he maybe had in the bank from when he came in is kind of starting to wane away a little bit. Whether that's right or wrong is, is another matter. We can kind of talk about that in a minute. But I don't know. Like we, we got an email in from... This doesn't happen very often, but, well, it does happen fairly frequently. we get emails in, but often I won't read them out because...
3: Well, I was going to say, this. this was a real one. And it wasn't someone who had like $10 million in an account <laughs> from their husband. and They just needed a little bit of help from us to release that. Yeah. This one was genuine from an actual human being. Or it wasn't somebody being like, Oh, stop covering the fucking women's stuff. It's fucking shit. Sure don't I fucking hear it.
1: Right. And hey, listen, honestly, if, if anyone right there actually wants to like contribute, put, put a view forward or whatever, fire it in. I'm sure we'll, we'll have a look at it and we'll, we, we might, read it out in the same way that we do here uh, the email address is abzfootballpodcast at gmail.com hit us up i'm not going to guarantee we're going to read everything but i thought this was i felt that this was kind of quite pertinent i felt this email seemed to sum up quite neatly a lot of the social media comments i've seen so it was from a guy called martin howie um, who basically said look sorry i don't do social media but i'm sitting here fuming after the hibs game on the next podcast i'd love to know I, I, one thing martin like Fair play mate, to be sitting fuming about that game I mean the three of us couldn't even be arse fucking watching it um, Which says everything You need to know I think but anyway
2: um, <laughs> we fucking charlatans doing this podcast this week
1: Absolutely um, On the next podcast I'd love to know What your feelings are around whether We can trust Jim Goodwin with what will be Our limited close season budget In my opinion Goodwin costs Us the win at Easter Road on Saturday we look fine with McCrory at right back. He takes off a midfielder in Polvara, brings on a midfielder in Ojo, who he puts to right back and moves McCrory back to midfield. We lose a goal straight away from the right back area. I think McCrory's best position is probably midfield, but the team was stronger with him at right back. If, Povor, if, if Polvara required to come off them, replace him with McGee, Jenks or Ojo in midfield. Fucking amateur hour. Um, and this does kind of, tie-in with with a lot of commentary i did see which was around the decision making to i think it was clear from from reading from every online povara was probably done and that's to be expected it's his first professional game he's he's not going to be up to speed at all it seemed as though mccrory was doing well right back so the decision to stick ojo in to right back and move mccrory to midfield does seem like a kind of slightly odd one we do have likes mcgee and jenks on the bench alongside Ojo who could play midfield as well so Gavin has also made the point many times this season that Ojo's better work generally speaking during the campaign has been when he's been made to play right back but it does tie into a lot of the conversations we've already had in the pod in the last few weeks where we've looked at substitutions during games and been like I don't understand why we're doing that I don't understand some of the, the decision making in terms of system what we're doing with that I don't know, like, was was, was uh,
3: is Goodwin under is Goodwin starting to become under pressure already? I would say so, but not from a sort of Goodwin. out. I, like, I'm of the opinion that there's pressure in the Aberdeen job any game you don't win. I, that's my. Uh, obviously, we're not going to win the mm. league, unfortunately, but I think there should be pressure in every game where you don't pick up the points, include the Old Firm in that because that's just you know where you want to be so there is pressure he is under pressure I'm not it's a tricky one to know you know is he the right man to take us forward because you know Gav read out the, the record early it's not it's not very good I'm trying to 2-4-4 four, four, sounds like a Jimmy Calderwood <laughs> formation I'm trying to sort of you know look at the, the bigger picture so obviously I've never been a football manager but mm-hmm. a lot of people say well you know it's not my players you think well okay that, that's absolutely the case it's not we, um, for whatever reason, the the chat was maybe we are going to bend last October. We didn't, but Billy dial, dialed until after the season, uh, the transfer window was shut. And then basically the new manager's got his hands tied behind his back. So I'm kind of taking the view that I can't really judge the full a sort of Goodwin appointment until next season. However, I don't disagree that to date, some of the substitutions have been odd. and I mean Martin's particular Point I agree, you want McCrory in midfield, but he's played right back a couple of times, done quite well because he's just quite a good player. I feel like if if that's working, that's not the problem. On the pitch, you've got a midfielder who's just making his debut, tiring. That that's what you need to fix, not shuffling someone around for that change. When you've got a guy who was performing rather well in mm-hmm. that area, and it's not the first time. I like the last mm-hmm. couple of home games, we've come away with like I don't I don't quite get. I don't get the changes that he was making and it's not even yeah. like, ugh, you know, the bench is woeful or whatever. It's like, I don't know why I picked that guy for that change. He could have picked someone else who could have done that job a little bit more naturally. So I think he is under pressure and people will be looking at, I think most people are probably sort of saying, right, okay, it's, it's not his squad. And even though the three of us have said, we think we've got good players that, you know, it's not really played out too well for us. So, no. maybe we don't but I'm not so sure he's really if I've been really kind I'd say he's just taking a pragmatic view and he's just been trying to grind out a few points here and there just to keep us going and next season we might see sort of what he really wants to do with the club in terms of how he sets up and how he approaches games he's maybe just been a little cautious because we uh, we just needed to to grind out some points here and there to keep us going
2: My comments are going to involve a lot of speculation, having not seen the game again. Um, From what I could roughly gather from Twitter, it seemed like we were being overrun in midfield. And I suspect his thinking was to get McCrory back into midfield to regain control. Uh, McGee has not played a lot of football for some time now. I don't know if Teddy Jenks is the kind of guy you want in a battling midfield. And I suspect his thinking was to get his one of his best center materials back in there and put an experienced player in Ojo to to play right back. Um I have said Ojo's done some good work out wide, not recently. Uh so it wouldn't have been my number one first choice um solution to that issue. At the same time, you know, you can't it's not Jim Goodwin's fault that David Bates gets outjumped by a winger. In James Scott and no one decides to mark Paul again.
1: It's bad, bad defending all around there. It's it's horrendous.
2: Um and you know there Hibbs had chances before that. Um so we yeah. weren't by any means rock solid before um before Dante went off and that change was made. I think um I think to go back to James point, Goodwin, whoever came in was gonna be under pressure to get off to a good start, whether that was Jim Goodwin, whether Stephen Glass survived the year. Whether we hired Jurgen Klopp. You know, it would we were gonna be demanding a much better start, largely because of just how unacceptable the season has been. Um, I maintain my view that he is working, he has come into a situation that is worse than he probably suspected, that a number of us suspected. And yeah, he's just doing whatever he can to get over the finishing line. Um, I think the the real test will be. July, August, September—that's when we'll
3: get a better view of what of whether Jim Goodwin is the right man to take us forward. Well, and also what the sort of the club structure does to support him in that. I mean, I guess we're all talking about the manager, but it's not maybe like it was in the olden days under McInnes or going back the way where the manager I think called the shots and did the did the recruitment. If if, for example, Ramsey does go for four million, then does the board and the setup really trust Goodwin to basically chuck some or all of that at him and we really go for it in the transfer window? Because we need we need a lot of players. We need a shitload of players. Let, let's be honest. And that, even if you're just getting... It's Aberdeen. Even if you're just getting a lot of average players, that's still going to cost. So it'd be interesting to see if we do get some money in, serious money in, mm. if they really back him um, and go for it. Because if they... I'm kind of of the view that if they don't, that's just not a vote of confidence mm. in the manager, so what was the point mm. of getting
1: them? I mean, it, it raises an interesting point just around our budget. I mean, uh, Martin's obviously talked about the fact that, you know, it'll be a limited close-season budget. I mean, it'll be limited, you know, in the grand scheme of things, but within, I imagine, Scottish football, it'll be a, and, and Goodwin has said it himself, it'll still be a very, very competitive budget. What will be interesting to see, though, is, you know, you, you look at... If, if the rumours about Ramsey are correct, then it's 4 million plus, hopefully 4 million of that is up front for Ramsey. I'd be surprised if Lewis Ferguson is still here after the summer. You'd imagine that should be at least a good two and a half, three million, three and a half million. I mean, I mean, I, if Liverpool do come through for Ramsey at 4 million, they're buying potential. Um, There's an argument to be made there that Ferguson is a, mo- a much more complete player than Ramsey is at this moment in time and therefore is worth... Equal to or more than Ramsey But that's that's unlikely to happen I would imagine But let's just say for argument's sake It's two and a half, three million for Ferguson That's like, you know, six and a half, seven million Coming into the club How much of that is going to be then chucked at Bridging the gap and What we've lost this season In terms of prize money By not getting into the latter stages of the Cups Not making the European group stages Finishing Somewhere around ninth or tenth in the table, you know, it'll be interesting to see whether the likes of Cormac and Cole, the guys, put money in decide to bridge that gap themselves by putting some extra cash in to bridge that, and then make that six and a half, seven million pounds worth of transfer money coming in available to the manager on top of the budgets, the weekly budget in terms of the actual salaries that we're going to be saving on here when you consider some of the guys who will be leaving the club in this in the summer. And whether actually that turns into actually quite a, you know, in in Scottish football terms, a really, really, really healthy budget going forward. Um, Martin's point was obviously, do we trust him with that budget? I guess this is where the structure has to come into play now, that it's not really all just on Goodwin. I know Goodwin will get a final say on it, and I know he will be the guy who pushes the button ultimately about, well, Cormac will push the button ultimately, but... Goodwin will be the guy who says, yes, I agree with the findings and this is the guy we're going to go with. Fine. Um, This is where that structure has to really start paying dividends now because this is money that we might not get again any time in the immediate future. Hopefully there are the likes of Conor Barron who, the way things look at the moment, for me, will be our record transfer uh, exit, you know, however you want to put it, transfer departure in the future because he's just... Such a good player I can I imagine us getting Loads and loads of cash In for him at one day You know Are they going to make The most of it And Are they going to give Goodwin a, a healthy Competitive budget To play with To try and get us back to a position Which is Which is a position that's, You know Third in the
3: table Challenging for the Cups and, and try to make a run At Europe again next season I think it's really interesting Simply I have to. to Well yeah Actually yeah No Gav's absolutely right Simply have to Because uh, if you I know it's all hypothetical, but say you did take in five, six, seven million between those players. I know there's there is a lot of work to be done in that squad, but outside the gruesome twosome, that is a huge potential sum of money to be chucking around in the league to get players. And if, like, I it, it's almost like it, if the people that actually sort of control that and run the club don't trust anyone in the structure with that kind of cash, then you have a fundamental problem that the guys at the top don't trust anyone they've got. In which case, that's almost more scary than not trusting, you know, the, the manager to maybe set them up. You've you've got to have confidence in everyone there. So you've, and also I suppose this is the first transfer window where you can properly really judge the club in its entirety because everyone is in position and has been for a period of time now, but. I think it's a fair point because there's one thing, or do you trust them to get good players? But plenty of managers have misused good players. It's not just getting a set of quality players in. We, you know, who knows who who we might sign? We all might look at it and think, "Oh, these guys are really good." That doesn't necessarily mean you've got someone that is mm-hmm. going to play to the you know set them up to succeed. If, for example. You know, we get a bunch of sort of well-known attacking creative players and the managers more cautious and stuffy, then you're just not utilizing them in the best way. So it, it kind of goes back to what are we supposed to be what are we supposed to be putting out in the pitch? What is the aim? Is it to be solid and resilient or is it to be attacking and putting three, four past teams and maybe shipping two or three? Someone needs to decide what we're actually trying to put out in the park and then get the players to go with that and I haven't seen what it is we're trying to achieve because I've not seen anything under Goodwin and to be fair to certain extent as to what's our identity. Who was it that commented to us that in the last year or two,
2: maybe even going back as far as five commented that we've signed good players for the sake of them being good players was that Reynolds?
1: It was Mark Reynolds I think yeah I'm pretty sure it was Mark Reynolds. I think
2: it was, so yeah. yeah Danger Man. Danger Man. Happy birthday, by the way. Um, yeah, we were asked to do a little um, article about the season and the omni-shambles yes. it's been. And I think it went back to maybe last week or week two weeks ago, Gary talked about whether we should like be keeping Declan Gallagher or whatever, and I made the comment that we need to work out a system and a formation <clears throat> and go about signing players that will fit to that formation yeah we need to sign the key thing for me is to sign a blend of players rather than just sign a good midfielder here, a good striker here, without really giving any consideration whether they can work together so um hopefully, yeah, if the money comes in for the two mentioned players, um we'll presumably be saving quite a healthy amount of money with the number of players that are leaving um yeah, hopefully the, the overall structure and it's, it's important to mention that, yeah, it's not just Jim Goodwin, it's Mowbray, Gunn, Cormac, everyone involved. Simply learns our lessons from last year. We don't sign your Jets and your Jack Gers and your Austin Samuels. Um, yeah, we we know what we're doing. We understand what we what we need now.
1: Absolutely. Fingers crossed, um I'm not gonna be churlish enough to suggest we're gonna do top dawn for this week, am I? I'm willing to put in a name. Oh, go on then, Gav. Gav, Gav's admitted (laughs) he's barely watched anything to do with this game. Go on, Gav.
2: Uh, Joe Lewis, for that save from Jono. Yeah, it was a good save. Um, Can we just talk about Ojo's attempt at heading the ball clear? Listen, I never thought I'd see a header, a diving header worse than Vujadinovic into his own net, but I think this actually is. I think this one might be be worse. There was no one behind him. I I don't even know what he's trying. I, I don't know what he's doing. Sometimes I'm not sure if does himself.
1: No idea. Graham, are you going to venture a top-down?
3: No, I was just going to make a snide remark. Speaking of not knowing there's anyone behind them. Uh, David Bates, there was a guy behind you.
2: <laughs> I saw someone gave Declan Gallagher man of the match, and I think fit by nearly lost his shit.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah, I think he probably had a fucking coronary, I'd imagine.
3: According to the BBC, where you can vote uh, Andrew Concerning got man of the match with 7.92, so... You know what, actually, for making a comeback from that injury in Carabag, Andrew Cotsman. Actually, jokes aside, Ross McCrory for putting his face where it absolutely 100% hurt. Oh, um, that is a man who has not downed tools and is 100% doing his job. And was nearly
1: having a scrap with the physios and stuff about wanting to stay on as well, which, you know, fair play to Ross. Uh, There'll be a bit more from Ross in a minute or two. I'm going to give Top Don... It's. I'm. I'm going to be really kind. I'm going to give it to Dante Povara. Uh, debut match in the SPFL Premiership for the Big American. Did fine. Did okay. A quote mark from Jim Goodwin. Dante Polvara, you are my top dog. Let's move on.
3: It's taken 43 episodes to turn soft.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Other news from Patoja this week. Well, first of all, most importantly, uh, I headed down to Cormac Park last week to present our inaugural. 2021-22 Player of the Year award trophies. Um, unfortunately, Vinnie Bajowin was not around, so we'll have to do that at a later date. Unfortunately, but first up, our Player of the Year award. We present that one to Ross McCrory. Here's what Ross had to say about being voted the winner and his thoughts on the season to date.
4: Ross McCrory, congratulations on picking up the ABZ Football Podcast Player of the Year award for the 21-22 season. Just over a thousand supporters voted for this one obviously collectively maybe not the season we were hoping for but uh, individually it's been a positive season for yourself oh, thanks very much uh, first of all well, it's, it's an honour just to, to get the award and uh, thanks very much for, for the support throughout the season um, definitely it's not the season we want it as a team as a whole It's been it's not been anywhere near yeah, good enough um, they're all of the table basically and uh, we've got a point to prove next season but as as an individual I felt as if my performances been right up there I have I feel as if I went to a new level, consistencies just came, and uh, especially when I was at centre back, I felt if I was playing on my skin, getting very comfortable there. So now it's uh, overall, it's been a good season individually, but next season I want to push on and, and try and get the team up up the table and uh, challenge for our trophies. Mate. Top man, congratulations again. Thank you.
1: And at the same time, also managed to present young Calvin Ramsey with his young player of the year award as well. Calvin took some time to reflect on his breakthrough season with
4: the Dons. Calvin Ramsey, congratulations on picking up the ABZ Football Podcast 2021-22 Young Player of the Year award, voted for just by just over a thousand supporters. Again, we're just saying to Ross, collectively, maybe not quite the season we were after, but individually for yourself, a real breakthrough season for yourself. Obviously getting a mainstay in the first team squad now, picking up the Football Writers Young Player of the Year award, a co-nominee for the PFA Scotland Young Player of the Year award. For you, just personally, on an individual level, what do you think was the, the highlight of your season? Yeah, thank you very much. Um, it's been a brilliant season for me, obviously, a first full season. Um, since I came into the team, I just tried to play as well as I can and keep, make sure to keep myself in the team. And Both the gaffers have trusted me um, and I managed to stay in the team. Um, obviously, we've not done as well as we would have liked, but for me, on a personal note, I've enjoyed every minute of it. There's been lots of ups and downs, but uh, my favourite moment was probably scoring against Dundee, obviously. Start of the season when I got that assist against Dundee United with a little skill. Um That was up there as well, but it's all been positive this season for me. Every game I played has been positive, so it's just been brilliant so far. Top man. Excellent. Congrats again, Cal. Thank you very much.
1: Now, we've still got a couple of wars to present. Look out for interviews with those individuals in the coming weeks. In other news, although not officially confirmed by the club, it would appear that Michael Ruth, Luke Turner and Tyler Maikita. hopefully I've now made sure that we're all above board on a particular forum for getting that pronunciation right now, that they've all been, or or, are all set to be released by the club at the end of the season, all three out of contract. They've all had mixed success, I think on their various loans, this campaign, any particular thoughts you want to venture on, on, on that gents?
3: Michael Ruth one, it's maybe not a huge surprise, but I think the other two have had, uh, obviously it's difficult to compare because they've not been on loan in the league but they have achieved success and racked up appearances. So I don't know. That seems a little surprising. I feel like it, why wouldn't you take a punt on some of these younger guys? Unless of course there has been some sort of holistic review and they say, right, the side, right, guys that maybe haven't made the headlines or haven't been out on loan, you know, maybe the year the group below that we've kept in the development squad or that have been working with Robson. These guys are better than the ones we put on loan. So, you know, don't, don't, don't panic. There's guys coming through that are, that are better than these guys, but I, I'm a little bit surprised that one or both of them hasn't actually had any sort of opportunity to to stay with the club. Yeah, Ruth, um, obviously some inauspicious
2: loan spells with Arbroath and Falkirk has not really gotten anywhere in the team since he has been back uh, in January. Not necessarily surprised there. Makita again, I guess, you know, he's been what? Makita, F- Makita. Uh, Makita, Um, He's been what, on loan at Fort Martin for the, the season.
1: Well, no, he had, a, he had a bit of an odd one. He was on loan at For Martin initially, was recalled, then went to Elgin and then played like two or three times at Elgin and then got recalled from that and went back to Fort Martin again. Yeah,
2: well, I mean, if you're not making an impact in the Elgin team, it's not necessarily making great signs for you. To kick on did well did well for Martin though did did really well there that's fair that's that's fair that's fair um but I guess yeah I mean maybe they've just looked down and thought you know what he's done well there but not capable of making the leap to the
1: SPL I was just gonna say I guess the other thing as well is Mikita, he's is midfielder and that's an area that we've got so many fucking players in that area is it maybe it's it could just be a sheer weight of numbers thing that they just don't see where he's going to come through
2: but yeah well Luke Turner I mean I don't know do we know how old Luke Turner is it's like nineteen or so isn't it?
1: Uh, let's say 19, 20, 21, 22,
2: 23, 18, 17, 24. But Graham, is, uh, Graham is doing the research from it.
3: Yeah, I can see Graham scrolling just now. He has no profile on the official club site.
1: <laughs> Gone. Done. They're so harsh down there these
2: days. Um, That's a little bit more surprising. I mean, I'm not necessarily saying that he was could come back in and be part of the first team, but he's been. Transfer market says he's 19. Transfer market says he's 19. Lovely stuff. Yeah, he's been a constant um, in the in the Cliftonville side, in the Northern Irish, Norwich, Irish Premier League. Uh, they've won a cup, um, finished second. I would have thought that would have been a good sign to then at least come back and then maybe get a move to perhaps the Championship or... Somewhere else. And given that we're letting go of Andrew Considine, Michael Devlin, Ross McCrory is obviously no longer planned to be a centre back at the club. Um, I feel there's someone I'm missing out, but our centre backs have not been great. Um, yeah, a little bit surprised that he's been showing the door, allegedly, but um hey, it's what it is. I think Turner's the the most surprising at
1: the moment. I wonder if there's maybe a bit more to this one than maybe meets the eye. I mean, obviously Luke Turner's uh, he is Irish. I wonder if maybe there's just been a decision made that actually he's really enjoyed his time at Cliftonville, a bit closer to home etc etc maybe he wants to try and look at a move either to the League of Ireland or stay in the Northern Irish Norwich Irish League, who knows I don't know, I wonder if there's a bit more to that than maybe meets the eye or maybe just the, the, the scenario as well, we, we felt that that's an area where we've, you know, galkers under contract Bates is under contract um, Charles Dunn will be coming in soon Um, that that we've just gone, you know what, it's not really an area we see somebody coming in and getting an opportunity right now. I don't know. Scott Brown, that's
2: what I was thinking.
1: Scott Brown, yeah, there we go. Uh, who knows? Difficult one. Um, uh, Luke Turner's the one that really surprised Michael Ruth, I'm not that surprised with.
2: Um, Scott Brown, who of course has retired officially this week and has made fuck all reference to his time at Aberdeen.
1: <laughs> Further, um, Joel, off of a uh, view from the terrace, and he's also happens to be a Scotsman journalist, He popped the story out this week confirming that the Italian team that Dave Cormack had talked about in his Q&A with Graham and Hunter that we were looking at having a set-up with was Juventus. Now, we'd kind of speculated it was going to be either Juve or Atalanta. I think we'd favoured the latter more on the basis that it probably seemed incredibly improbable that Juve would be looking
2: at a link-up with us. Oh, I favoured Juve because, as we learned, I can't say Atalanta. (laughs) You <laughs> definitely can't, but hey, here we go Took a lot of effort to do it that time <laughs> But it would appear,
1: maybe we just picked them To avoid any confusion with the Atlanta Atalanta thing
2: I did enjoy someone did that The meme, it's like Atlanta yeah. Atalanta yeah. <laughs> It's good Visual humour on an audio only podcast <laughs> That's what you tune in for <laughs> It would appear that we've But it,
1: it
3: would appear we've been approached By UV as well about this Which I also find mad i i really hope that's true because that, like i don't know what Aberdeen translate uh, translates to in italian but i hope by the time the ink is dry that's when they realize they've really fucked this up and it wasn't Aberdeen they were after at all <laughs> but it's too late the ball here in a free transfer and it's happening but we say that we're one of like a
2: uh, five dozen teams they've invited yeah we'll get onto it it's part of their club
1: 15 project UV looking to develop and maintain and enhance relationships with clubs too. Let's do the corporate talk, promote talents and create a network of collaborations.
2: Where have I heard that before?
1: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's believed that uh, Stephen Gunn was living up in Turin recently alongside family I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> was that a childish dig?
3: Do you expect nothing less from this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: we'll, we'll keep it in. It's believed that. Uh, Steven Gunn, director of football, was living up in Turin recently alongside reps from the likes of A.K. Athens, Utrecht, Alves, Vitesse Arnhem, St. Gallen, uh, Cincinnati FC. I don't know why I was going to use them, but there, there we go. Juve uh, apparently see this as being a way to open up uh, direct lines for young talent that can move to the Italian giants and vice versa. I suspect what this means is if you guys have got some players we like look of, give us them here... We've got some absolute fucking donkeys. Here you go. Um, UV have got, I, I couldn't believe this number when I saw it, they've got apparently nearly 120 players between their first team and under 23 squads. So there might be some absolute fucking dross coming our way. Juve <laughs> have currently got 43 players out alone across Europe and the MLS. Probably the most high profile is that absolute idiot at Rangers. Um, and us fair to say, he's not exactly pulled up trees in the spfl so i dread to think about what we're going to get landed with your thoughts on this one gents
2: all i'm gonna say is if it's a two-way street jet has really fucked up <laughs> bailing out on aberdeen when he did enjoy your 750 dollars sticks mate could you imagine jet in Syria? just just think about that for a
1: minute
3: bent or not play for uv he did, yeah, he did, yes. he did quite so well. So, there's it, hope yeah. for us all. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it with my DNA points, I might get a wee cheeky shout. <laughs> a unique experience. Chesney also ended up there, didn't he?
2: And he's horrendous. he has been number one since Buffon retired. Madness. Imagine replacing Gigi Buffon with Chesney. I'm just going to say, Killini's leaving UV in the summer. Yeah. Coincidence or something more sinister? Can you imagine Killini? Killini would
1: lose his absolute shit at the state of refereeing in this country. Can you just imagine? I think he would legit kill someone. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, obviously, we, we spoke, we we speculated on this um, when the Hunter Cormac chat happened. The last player we took on loan from Serie A was the aforementioned Nikola Vujadinovic. Um, it wasn't great. That's been very polite. Let's see what happens, I think, is the best play. Watch this space.
3: My prediction is this will be like the Atlanta link-up. This will be the only time it's mentioned. We will never hear of this again.
2: Ronnie Hernandez to Juventus.
3: <laughs> yes, but with all the proceeds going to Atlanta.
2: Uh, via Aberdeen once more.
1: <laughs> it's all been some sort of mad scheme to try and get around <laughs> some like UEFA rules about players. We're just the middlemen. The money was merely resting in our accounts. On to the women's side, before we get on to the women's match this week. The big news this week out of Petology was the fact that the Dons have decided to move to semi-professional status for the Queens After back-to-back promotions, a successful return to the top flight. Like, this marks the next step for the club and looking to build on the success. Continue to develop the side to compete at the higher end of the league and in the Cups. Jess Broderick, top scorer Bailey Hutchison and the inaugural 2021-22 20, ABZFP Women's Player of the Year, Bailey Hutchison, Francesca Ogilvie, Ailey Shore, and Ava Thompson on deals that will see them stay with the club until 2024. And it's also going to see the club invest in further off field matters as well to support them. A positive step forward, one that matches up with a recent announcement by Hearts that they're going to do something similar. Obviously, Hibs are already at that sort of stage. I think, are Celtic semi pro? I don't think they're fully pro. Are they Celtic? I don't think maybe they are fully pro now. I
2: thought they were pro.
1: Maybe they're fully pro now. That, that obviously brings up the, the the top six teams in the country to professional or semi-professional status. So hopefully that will in, in, encourage the kind of competitive nature at the top of the women's game. To continue, the Dons travel to Livingston on Sunday afternoon and the Tony Macaroni Arena for the live match against Hibs off the back of an impressive 4-2 win over Party Thistle on Tuesday evening at Cormac Park. The Quines looking to finish off the season on a high and finishing the fifth spot that would represent a real statement on return to the top flight. Two changes to Emma Hunter and Gavin Beath starting lineup with Bailey Collins replacing Natasha Bruce and 16-year-old Millie Uckert making her debut in place of the injured Lauren Campbell. A fairly cagey start to the game, and it was the host who came closest to opening the scoring. Kavanaugh's curling effort from 18 yards coming back off the bar before Ailey Adams did give the high Bees the lead on 16 minutes. Another curling effort, this time high into A.J. Meach's goal. The Dons still did get an equaliser with their first attempt at the game, right on the half-hour mark. Bailey Hutchison latching onto a loose pass at the back by Hibbs, and she sent her drive high into the net to add to her tally at four at the season. Hibbs, though, regained the lead just before half-time. Adams heading home her second, and that's how things stayed at the break. Things went from bad to worse for the Dons. Kelly Forrest with an own goal as she tried to divert across out of play, and it looked as though it was going to become a long afternoon for the Quines when McAloney scored on 59 minutes. Thankfully, though, that was the last of the scoring. The Dons managed to see out the remainder of the game. It came close to a couple of consolation goals, but it was 4-1. How it ended next up is a visit to Glasgow City. On Wednesday evening, Glasgow City, probably smarting from the fact that their long reign at the top of the SWPL is over, they surrendered the title this afternoon to Rangers and then the Quines finish their campaign up at Motherwell next Sunday on to the young team they wrapped up their home campaign in Cass under 18 with a fine performance to defeat Dundee United on Friday evening returns to the team for Ryan Duncan and Evan Towler after their seasons at Peterhead and Elgin respectively had finished and Tom Ritchie making a welcome returning goals after his injury troubles, it was Duncan who fired the Dons ahead on 26 minutes a fine ball through from Yeats sent Duncan through and he fired a fine shot in off the left-hand post. It was two for the young team just on half time. A long free kick from Richie found Duncan and his shot was parried by the keeper. Liam Harvey was on hand to stab home the rebound for his 13th goal of the season. And the Dons put the game beyond doubt just on the hour mark. Liam Harvey's cross met by Duncan, who smashed home his second and the Dons third to seal the points. United grabbed the consolation 10 minutes later through Donald, but the Dons saw it out. Next up for the Dons, a visit to Kilmarnock and to Celtic to round off of the campaign. On to Fantasy Football Scotland. Let's get the apps loaded up, boys. I always enjoy hearing the adverts just pop up behind you. Oh, Gav's prepared. I'm already
3: prepared. Yeah. Okay,
2: you, boys. You're almost professional. I'm not. I'll uh, go ahead first. It's a distinctly average week for Sweet Considine. 34 points.
3: Yeah. Uh, well, I was going to say, you described uh, the pair of us as almost professional. That feels like a an annual appraisal there actually for me. I had 29 points, which is uh, basically back to form. I think I, I somehow got 70 last week. Um, 29 points is is not very good. But more importantly, I am sitting above Gary in our little mini league. 30 for me, uh,
1: not a vintage week, obviously. But again, more importantly for me in our mini league, I am sitting above Gazer and that is all that matters. In the ABZ FB League, Jack Curran, two turkeys, 80 points this week. He must have he's got to have an interest, doesn't he? Of course he
2: does. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> as does the new entry in number two. Yeah. A big week for old Kent Rhodes. Overtaking our friend Stephen Brown and Gold Frankincense and Gurr. Yeah, yeah. And oh
1: gold frankincense and girl not a good week for him. 58 points. He's now only two points ahead of Jack geese only five points ahead of Gray's Growlers. In fifth spot as well, so I think it's between the top five now for the for the trophy spots. I reckon.
2: I'm calling it. I think it's all the way down to Matt's marbles
1: Possibly, maybe. I I think it's the top five. I think that's where you're looking here. Not not a good week for Gold Frankincense and Gar. Really needs to pull his socks up and uh, and and try and sort that shit out ahead of this week. Because I'd I'd be really gutted if he doesn't finish in that top three. But hey, there we go. Keep on keeping on. One week left to go. One week to go. Two games. One week. Let's move on talking about two games. One week. Do we even want to preview these two games, boys? That much. I mean, let's let's let's, let's face it. We're Perth on Wednesday night against St Johnston. They're consigned to a relegation playoff against our brother, Cali Thistle. Yep. Let's just well, we just skip straight down to the Dogger Saints chat. I think that's the best thing to do,
2: given how little an effort this podcast has been. We're kind of resembling jet output right now. So yeah, let's just skip ahead.
1: Yeah, definitely. To get the Saints view on Wednesday's fixture, how their season's gone, we caught up with Sam and Danny from the Dogger Saints podcast. This is not one you want to
3: miss and a whole lot of other things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, in between an utter rammy, a couple of minutes of football chat broke out. <laughs> if yeah. you're not if you're not fussed about the football just skip ahead about 10 minutes.
1: Sam and Danny from the Dogger Saints Podcast, welcome to the ABZ People Podcast. How's it going, guys? Hello, hello. Thanks for having us. Hey, you're welcome. I mean, glad to have you on. I know we spoke about doing this like a few months ago, and we realistically speaking, we were kind of hoping we wouldn't have to be having you on at this point in the <laughs> season. Um, but here we are. Um, yesterday, obviously, a one on draw for, for the Saints at Livingston condemns you guys to that relegation playoff spot. I mean, unless Mark McGee's Dundee do go on
2: a hell of a run now. <laughs> No Are they though? <laughs> no they're
5: not um,
2: Not if Charlie Adams Got anything to say about it
5: I'm just here for the Mark McGee banner. To
1: be brutally honest with you What will he come out with next? I know We feel like we've become Almost like a kind of Mark McGee parody podcast Here now. This is like All we've been speaking about <laughs> Now for about three months Because it's about The only like Laugh we can have um, But boys <laughs> What's what's happened What's happened this season Cup double winners
6: last year It's all gone to shit eh? Dan oh, I'm glad I'm the one Who's going to fail this one First up uh, Cheers for that mate no, nah, it's just been... I, the the real turning point, to be honest with you, was that last day of the transfer window and seeing Ali McCann go, Jason Kerr as well, and then Spoony doing his crew shit in the League Cup semi-final. Have you got to, like, lose three players from the squad from last season? Fuck me, three <laughs> that you don't want to lose with M um, three. But the thing was... It's not just the fact that McCann, especially McCann, but Kerr massively as well. It's not the fact that he left because anyone who with sort of half a brain needed were going to leave, which leads us nicely to Callum Davidson, but like everyone knew they were going to leave. Um, I can slag him off because I'm not going to get because not on our own podcast, so I'm not going to get grief from people <laughs> for slagging Callum Davis. So. I'll, I'll um,
5: edit this out on our own, it's fine. Yeah, go,
6: <laughs> yeah this is going on our podcast. Um, no, I mean, there was no forward planning. A little bit mitigating circumstances because of Europe, and the players not going before that because he wanted to see if we... And it's unbelievable, because we had such a good chance of getting through to at least one of the... Well, I say at least, to one of the group stages in the two European competitions. And... Yeah, so you can understand not wanting to go, but there was no forward planning. It basically meant that whole sort of two months building up to the winter break was just painful. And then since then try to fix it in January and it's just not quite come off really. So in sort of in short, the sort of breakup of Tommy Wright's sort of last side because Davidson was did brilliantly last season. There's this sort of fairy knocking about with Saints fans that he got lucky and all that. And he did have Tommy Wright's side, but he's he still... like Tommy Wright wouldn't have gone out and done double.
5: No, that's it. I think, I think the problem with the team is, uh, well, we've brought in 19 players this season and the quality is nowhere near as good. We could almost, before, pick our midfield, like the midfield before with Murray Davidson, Liam Cray, all these guys, Chris Miller... They'd had like, I played a thousand games between them. And as soon as you start losing these guys and replacing them with pish, basically, um, it's always going to kind of go a, a bit downhill. And they're not playing for Callum. Whether the heads have gone down, confidence has dropped. But this time last season, we were talking about going to a cup final and getting into Europe. And this season, we're just, it's just disappointing. But we spoke to our fans about this um, last week, whether are you a Callum in or Callum out. And everybody's still on the fence. It's funny because I thought a lot of people would be get them get him gone, but as we have seen with likes of Aberdeen, Hibs, um, Dundee, <laughs> do- changing the manager, Saint Mirren, it doesn't it doesn't work. Obviously, just changing the manager constantly. To be fair, do you think Stephen Glass had a fair crack of the whip?
6: Yes. Yeah,
5: just no good. Maloney, there's another one. If anything, I think there's a legitimate
2: point that he could have been gone a lot earlier than he was. Okay, but did you want McInnes gone? Yes. I wouldn't say I actively wanted him gone, but I was more than
6: okay when it happened. Okay. Do you know what? Sam? So I'm, I'm going to sound like a broken record here because the thing that I've been sort of chopsing on about for weeks and weeks is the fact that the football is just, football saints have churned out this season. It's just definitely dull. And that was the same thing with you under Mc, in the end under McInnes. It was obviously, it was so good for you for so long. But in the end, under McInnes, it's, it almost becomes like less about results and more about the fact that why are we watching this sort of every week? Why we? Why do we have to? Why is this how we're playing? Because it's you were well boring last season. Let's see much.
2: Yeah, let's see ever since the breakup of the Derek McInnes team, as we kind of all know it, when Hayes yeah. and McGinn left. Um, yeah, we became a much more direct, pretty turgid team to watch. In all fairness and. You're not the only person from an opposition team that said the same thing. So,
5: one of the other problems with John's is we don't have any players that score. Like we've got the Stevie May that you had now, uh, which is really disappointing. Um, well, I'm just glad we don't have him. To be fair, Uh Well, he did score against us this season, did. unbelievably. I think that's one of his only league goals of the yes. season as well, which is which is incredible. You'll, you'll get but another one on Wednesday night. I was waiting to say, oh, it's going to be the case, but Wednesday night now is kind of going to be like a bit of a going to have a bit of a pre-season feel about it now because it's user safe. We are kind of are where, where we are now. It's, we're not going to hit anywhere. don't think Dundee's going to catch us. So it's, I mean, an interesting one. I say interesting, I won't, be grim. Well, actually, it's, it, it maybe is interesting from one perspective. How do you think Davidson decides to approach it? Does he
1: decide now, stick some like fringe players in so that my first team don't get injured ahead of, you know, you play Arbroath or Inverness Cali in the, in the relegation playoff final? Or does he decide, well, oh, fuck it, I just go with everyone anyway?
6: We were talking about this and I'm sort of of the opinion that it will probably approach Wednesday. To be perfectly honest with you, nobody knows really what his strongest eleven is. The point is, the sort of core players, so Rooney, Gordon, Clark, Hendry. I'm, I'm loathsome to say any of the midfielders, but probably most probably Davidson. Davidson. Um, they'll, they'll all play on Wednesday night, because just because it is still... Technically live, you know, we it's not enough, nothing's mathematically certain yet. So, I think they'll all play on Wednesday night. I think the Hibs game on Sunday will be when maybe he chops and changes a little bit. He's just got to try and get some sort of function in midfield because weirdly, yesterday we, we played quite well and looked sort of decent again. I say. I say these look miles better at the back and at the front, but the midfield's the midfield's a big,
1: big issue. The thing I guess is you, you'll know before going in on Wednesday what your situation is because Dundee play Hibs on Tuesday night. So Dundee fail to win, then it's done anyway. They'll be interested to see if that does change the dynamic. I mean, from our perspective, it'll be I imagine the same team we put out at Easter Road yesterday. Um, Goodwin's making it pretty clear that. He's wanted to play guys now who are going to be under contract and who he sees being at the club next season. So that'll be that 11 with a few changes because there was a couple of boys who were off injured yesterday. So there might be a bit of freshening up there, but I can't imagine we'll do much more than that.
6: Well, That's a good point, Gary, actually. Um, so, Nick, what's he, what's he been like? I've only seen and japs on sports round. Uh, sports round stuff like that. It's, it's sport, yeah. sports scene, isn't it? Yeah. Getting confused between sports round and sports scene. i uh, always and jabs on sport, sports scene. Sorry. And news round. And news round, yeah. <laughs> Andy Peters. Um, yeah, I'm um, always in drips and jabs, really. He's starting to see Goodwin's. He's obviously sort of a long term appointment. He looks like a long term appointment, sort of young young manager, cutting his teeth, obviously got him from another club so to actually pay out for him. And it's not just it doesn't look like it's going to be a sort of short-term thing. Are you starting to see a bit of
3: Goodwin's sort of stamp coming on the side? Or? I don't know what we are, to be perfectly honest. The failings that exist before are still there. We can't defend at all. We can't score. And we now have even less of the ball, so it's more likely we're going to concede because the opposition has the ball for longer. I know, generally speaking, if you've got the ball, in theory, the opposition can't score. But with our defence... You know, actually us having the ball is not always the safest option. So I have to be honest, I've not really seen anything. I thought we would get the new manager bounce, which you generally expect to get. That didn't happen. And to be honest, it's pretty much been the same or slightly worse than it was before. So I think he's... uh, Everyone associated with the club's got quite a busy summer ahead of them because there's a few guys there that will go back their loans there's a few guys that don't really look like they're that bothered. And then you've got a couple of guys that don't look good enough. And then you've got the guys stuck on contracts. So I think it's going to be quite an interesting summer for him. Where's, has uh, Jack got a club yet? No, he is. Uh,
2: he's living his best life in Dubai on his Aberdeen payout. Lovely. Eating, eating $750 steaks.
5: Oh, <laughs> what a trick. Remember the time, remember, did I ever tell you the time, Danny, that Sonny Aluko um, was texting my wife? <laughs> did, did I tell that no. It was when he was at Rangers <laughs> I don't know why this story is coming up now But he was like sitting in his hotel room Eating olives and uh, he texted my wife saying What are you up to? And he went I'm sitting eating monster munch Why? <laughs> this my wife's a class act This was before we were married I must add um, But yeah that was, that was an interesting one That's the, the, the glamour He was in Dubai eating olives And my wife was, in our, she was on our couch in Falkirk eating monster munch And he hadn't heard of monster munch but there we go
1: Jet yeah, is certainly not Eating olives That's for sure he is living his <laughs> Best fucking life Burning wads of cash <laughs> Based on the fact He's getting A 12 month payout Off of Aberdeen Lovely stuff Great stuff
5: Bobby Andrew Kornstein. What's the uh, script I'm Obviously he's Where will he go Where would you want him to go Ooh, um, So
1: I've heard He's got offers On the table From Three Premier League teams One who has Just been promoted One who finished In the top six And one who is In the Dundee area
5: yeah, that's the kind of the kind of club you'd think he would probably go to. I don't think well if he's turning down Aberdeen because he's not getting enough money, he's not gonna go with the likes of a St. Johnson or anything. It'll have to be somebody that's gonna chuck a keep a money and obviously Hibs have got a... I would, I would say Hibs have the money, they've got they freed up ten grand a week off that Miller guy, so <laughs> I mean,
1: I I would not be surprised to see Andrew Considine end up at Cove Rangers.
5: Aye. Uh, that would make sense, keep up that neck of the woods, yeah. That kind of makes sense.
1: From what I've been told, I mean, his family and everything's all settled up here. He doesn't really want to move, he's not gonna sticks. he's not gonna move his family. None of that's gonna happen. So it's gonna to have to be a short term deal. None of the clubs in the Premier League are gonna be paying anywhere near the sort of money we were gonna give him for twelve months. So it might be a case of cutting losses and thinking, well, actually I'm better off state with someone like Coventry, just closer at home, maybe try and get back into the coach and set up with Aberdeen at some point down the line.
2: I was just gonna say he is way too solid a centre back to play for Hibs.
5: Yeah. I'd agree the,
6: the thing is if you're gonna play at centre half for hips you've got to be shy but have really good PR and that's what I've discovered that's, that's what, I've, what I've sort of deduced from that not, not thinking of anyone not think not naming names but it's very important <laughs>
5: <laughs> it rhymes with Ryan Schmortius <laughs> what's uh, what'll, what'll be your approach going into Wednesday's game
1: let's get the season finished like honestly we're literally at the point now of being like, who gives a shit? We've somehow managed to get ourselves to a place where we now can't be relegated. Half the team have been told by Goodwin that they're shite and he doesn't want them here, so they don't give a fuck. Most of us don't give a fuck anymore. Get the season finished, we'll move on. We'll see what happens in the summer. Like It's going to be a massive... I mean, Graham touched on it earlier. It's going to be a huge, huge window for us um, in the summer. and It's going to be the making of Goodwin, whether he can actually cope with this job or not. It's The, the initial signs haven't been, you know, great. But I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here in the fact he's inherited a team. You know, he came in after the January window so he couldn't do anything to influence the makeup of the squad. He came in with a bunch of guys who just were so bereft of confidence. And then you've got guys like Ramirez who's just down tools since Glass left. Oh, is he tied it now, is he? Oh, totally. Absolutely just dingied it. Since the moment Glass went, Gav will probably bring it up in a minute, but like when Glass got sacked, I've never seen this before, but Ramirez just posted on like a Twitter just like, fuck! And then the angry face emoji. Yeah, I did see that, yeah. And I've never Aye. seen like, a player react in that way before. And it's like, since then, he's just not looked interested. So I'd be surprised if he's here next season. He has got another year in his deal, but I'd imagine he'll be away. You know, you're looking at, I think even yesterday, he came out in the press after the game yesterday, Goodwin, and said that he told six out of the nine guys we had on the bench that they won't be here next season or that he doesn't. they don't feature in his plans. I wouldn't be surprised if the nine guys on our bench yesterday, none of them are here next season. Even the guys that are under contract. Oh, great! We'll get them. <laughs> I don't know if we've got anyone who's got
5: had a long-term cruciate injury um, sitting on our bench. No, we're we're good for them. We like we love an injury, Murray davidson We we had Murray Davis on the podcast actually. Was Aberdeen one of the clubs he was chatting to at one point? That would be
2: news to me anyway. Uh,
5: I can't remember, but he's definitely Rangers was one of them. Um, but he did go and speak to them, but. Uh, there was a whole big story behind him, but I think I can't remember if that was the case or not. But yeah, right this season out is it does Jim Goodwin get more pass marks because he's he's reasonably handsome.
1: Of course, he is the most handsome
2: manager in the league.
5: It's a major, yeah, it's a major plus point for him. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you think he just walks in the interview and goes, Come on, come on, look at look at this. Look at
6: this. <laughs> <laughs> this is it. Because Davidson looks, if Davidson didn't look like the FA Cup, I might be willing to give him a little bit more time.
5: The FA Cup mixed with a potato. Yeah, it's going to, it's almost yes. never <laughs> them to, yeah. Who were you wanting if it wasn't Goodwin? Well, from my end, there
2: was no obvious candidate as such. Um, I think we wanted us to maybe a, a broad, continue being brave with our appointments. But um, obviously that's what we did last time with Glass and yeah, it's whatever working out was, that did that was not what happened. Um, So we also went for a safer option with um, Goodwin, more experience in the league. But um, yeah, there was no standout candidate for me.
5: Yeah, it's funny because we um like we did our fan phone-in last week because we didn't have a guest. So we thought, right, well, we'll open up the phone lines for people to come in and have a rant. But everybody that phoned in and said, Cal- I want Calm Davis tonight, we went, well, who do you want? And not one person came up with a, I want this guy. It's it's easy to say, get, get rid of them, get rid of them. But who do you bring in? Yogi Hughes, a good footballing man, that
3: doesn't work It's not worked out too well for Dunfermline, has it? Certainly not, good footballing man though <laughs> Yeah, which is all that matters these days yeah. <laughs> That's it I was really surprised with the fact
1: we kind of rushed our appointment Like we seemed to really like shit the bed And then we kind of did what we, we said we weren't going to do Like they'd come out, Cormac had kind of come out and said We're going to take our time and we're going to make sure we get it right And then it was like, fuck, what do we do? and it was like Jack Ross is available okay yeah and it like for a few days it was like Jack Ross is the guy and then Aberdeen Twitter just had a fucking meltdown about that which is fair He's a enough. fraud yeah uh, and then like a couple of days later it was like Goodwin's the man and it's like okay um not really keen on that either to be honest I mean it, th- those are two deeply uninspiring choices that's like being asked Do you want to be shot in the head or shot up the arse you know like
2: Gary says Dave Cormack said this but Dave Cormack also says Stephen Glass with the outstanding candidate as if we interviewed anyone else so you know t- take everything he says
5: with a little pinch of salt do you know what wouldn't it have been a worst option for you is see the season out get somebody I know uh, that's a name I've mentioned but he's uninspiring but getting a Tommy Wright in, until the end of the season to st- steady the ship and then that it was gets, for Kelly, didn't it? Yeah, but he was a long-term appointment, though. <laughs> he was. <laughs> I, love, I love Tommy Wright as much as the next man, oh, man. <laughs> but get no, that was just an example. Get somebody in to to buy you more time to look for the right candidate instead of diving straight in with a good one. Get somebody who's who's again uninspiring. Like as I say, I can't think of anybody else off my head, but a Tommy Wright or somebody like that, just to see it at the end of the season, which gives you an extra three months to find a manager. I'm not saying you should have got Tommy right because that'd be a ridiculous appointment, but um, should you have should you have spent more time looking for the right man?
3: I think it's a valid point. We had supposedly this strategy, which is why Glass was brought in. We were going to do something different. I think results under McInnes had tailed off. We hadn't really finished even in the league where we probably should have done budget-wise. Football was pretty grim. So we were going to go into this brave new world that Gavin said, we we're going to do something different. So it didn't work out with Glass, that's fine. But it just looks like they've jacked it all in and just gone back to almost like revert to type, and you just pick someone up from the go the round, I can, I can definitely see the point of eking out the season, buying a little bit more time, but sticking to what you wanted to achieve with your initial appointment. But I think like Gavin Garrow was saying, it genuinely looks like they just panicked and got someone, and with the great suspect, the Jim Goodwin, I don't really see what he's done to be the man in the hot seat right now, to be honest.
1: My favourite thing about the whole managerial search that we did, though, is that for a while, like, uh, Kettle Knutson, you know, the Bodo Glimp manager was like, everyone was like, him, him, right? And it's like, we missed the boat for him by about 18 months. Certainly by, t- if, when when we appointed Glass, that could have been a potentially realistic shout. I think at the point we, people were talking about it, I think they'd just beaten Roma 6-1 in the Neuro Police. You're like, that guy's going to, like, this guy's, like, sights are set at a much higher level than us. But, um... Somebody from the club leaked out the fact that they did try to contact Bodo Glimt, um to see if they could sound them out. Which I imagine went a little bit like, you know, the scene in Partridge where he phones up, is it Curry's, to ask about surround sound. It's like, hi, is is, yeah, is well, Kettle there? Who is it? Steve Cormack, Football Club. What do you want? I wonder if you'd like to be the manager.
5: Nope. Okay then. i <laughs> have well, approached them, but uh, no dice, my friend. Um, didn't want you anyway. Dad. That's it. Aberdeen Football Club, massive, massive club, massive fan base, Must pisses off that a team like St. Johnson, I've used the phrase teams like St. Johnson because we read on Twitter almost every week, manages to do cup doubles on a shoestring budget Yes, and with the glory and the Europe seven seasons out of whatever. Does, that, does it genuinely annoy you or jealous of you? How does it affect us?
2: Not just that you do it, but you do it with Stevie May and Craig Bryson. <laughs> Craig,
5: Craig Bryson had a good first half of the season. He's actually a, obviously never kind of worked out for you guys, but he was, he's he's a solid professional for us. Certainly when when he's not injured, obviously
6: he's been great for us when he's not been sort of dead. Yeah. We never got the not dead version, so we've
1: literally got no idea. I was uh, laughing. He did post that thing a few weeks ago, didn't he, on Twitter about like somebody made up his like wee little frame of. He must have had like, seven hundred games or something. And I saw this, right? And it was like 900 million games for Derby County and yada, yada. And this. Whole, and it was like Aberdeen was like 14. And I was like, I can't even think of 14 <laughs> games played for Aberdeen. I've, I literally have no idea. I want to caveat what Gavin Graham said. Yes, it does piss us off, but it doesn't piss us off that St. John's have done it. I want to like, point that out. It just pisses off that like with the resources we have, we've not been able to, especially that run 2012 through to whatever it was when Sevco were bouncing about. The lower leagues We had glorious opportunities I mean when you guys Won the Scottish Cup For the first time in 2014 f- For me that was A massive missed opportunity We, sh- we should have won The Scottish Cup that season
5: You've brought that on yourself With the Who the Fuck is TV May chant it really yeah. You really did bring that Upon yourself with that one I'm I afraid. wasn't involved in that I'm just pulling my hands up now That wasn't me <laughs> 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 But that was it Like Saints had lost Nine semi-finals before that Always um, oh, the bridesmaid And we kind of knew After that After obviously Coming in from 1-0 down At half time To win that that it was kind of going to be our year. But yeah, like as you say, a massive missed opportunity uh, from from Aberdeen there. But he's ca- that's got to be, what is what is your goal? So I'm just really interested to speak in Aberdeen fans about this. What is your goal as your team? Is it third and a cup? Or is it European? What What is your realistic aim? Well,
2: I was just going to say it was even more frustrating that season because we hammered you guys in the League Cup semi-final earlier yeah, as well. I think
5: castle uh, was it 3-0, yeah.
2: It was ridiculous. 4-0, yeah. Um, aims what, now? As in for next season or like more long-term?
5: both what's your what's your short-term goal is, is it go to straight back do what hearts did bounce up and hit third and get into european playoff stuff
2: it's going to be hard with the money that hearts are going to rake in from from europe that we and hibbs and everyone else have basically just you know handed to, to them on a plate yeah, but let's be yeah. honest hearts are Hearts are garbage let's be honest hearts are fucking terrible it's a little rich
1: calling anyone terrible. The teams on this call are fucking terrible. Yeah, but sore hearts. The the whole league
5: has just gift wrapped hearts third spot and gone, here you go, boys. The, the whole league's terrible this season. We've discussed this many times. Yeah. It's been the, the the one season we have a poor season, we could be sitting comfortably yeah. third, like on yeah. points any other season. Um it's just a shame that every team is pish.
2: And also like we're likely the chat is Calvin Ramsey's away to Liverpool. Um four million pounds speculation. Which, whatever, that's fine. Lewis Ferguson will likely go, Um, as Gary said, Ramirez has chucked it, so we need to get a striker in, we need to get so many people. So yeah, I think to kind of just go back to the quote-unquote philosophy we talked about is to unearth a playing style and be consistent and yeah, just look upwards rather than being in the situation we've been in where 35, 36 games and we're still worried about a relegation playoff.
5: But you survived a relegation due to the fact that Falkirk had a honking ground many moons that's, ago. That's, that is,
2: that's, a myth. <laughs> that's a myth. Is that not true? <laughs> are,
5: you, are you debunking this now? We
2: avoided a relegation playoff. We, we, oh,
1: hang the, on, it wasn't ah. even that. We avoided a three-way relegation round-robin tournament. Was that what it was at the time? Yes.
2: Because that was the year that we restructured the league yeah. into 12 teams. So
1: Let's debunk that now. That did not happen.
5: I will offer my there apologies. I'm not going to do that, but
6: I apologise. Do you know what? I reckon there's potential now here. us five get together at some point, maybe at the end of the season. Right? We do a two-hour special on mad shit the league has done <laughs> to try and keep things interesting. Three-way round <laughs> robin uh, playoff. He's probably top of the list. But, <laughs> and we'll get an English football
5: fan who thinks Scottish football's is pesh and then we'll convince them how it's the greatest league in the world. And and we'll get Ryan on as well.
2: <laughs> we have got countless Newcastle oh, fans yeah. ready to Absolutely. take that part. Yeah. yeah.
5: Oh wow, he was honking. But is he not like Player of the Year now? For is he at Mansfield now?
2: Mansfield, yeah,
5: tearing up Some in League Two. No Mark
2: outfit
1: in League Three, million or whatever it is down there. I don't fucking know. Like Mansfield Town, they didn't even get in the. Did they get the playoffs?
6: No, they're in the playoffs. Yeah. All
1: right, well, I'll be supporting everybody but Mansfield.
6: The other good one, yeah, right, was James Wilson. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. I used to have massive vested interest in because of my other team, because obviously probably will tell by the accent. So Salford City, I imagine, yeah. Salford City, yeah, Salford City. Um I'd got he's now on he's now at Port Vale with a record of nine in 41. I once claimed about James Wilson that um because he was breaking through at the same time as the player I'm gonna mention. It was sort of young players coming through at different clubs, young centre forwards. And I said, nobody's going to give a shit about Harry Kane when James Wilson gets a run of games. <laughs> and that is genuinely what I said. I, I, Brilliant. If you think Harry Kane's good, wait until James Wilson gets a run of games.
5: <laughs> There's I've records. never
6: been as wrong about... I'm wrong a lot. <laughs> and I've never been as wrong about anything in my entire life. The wrongest thing you've ever said. You know what? Graham's
2: got a story he went to see Aberdeen like an open training session and he watched James right, Wilson yeah.
3: closely. He was honestly it's like when there was no pressure on, he was miles ahead of everyone. It was just a lot of training drills and stuff, but his touch and shot, and now admittedly, Stevie May was there at that time, and there was a man who had zero confidence. But <laughs> Wilson was, honestly, it didn't matter where the ball came to him, top corner, bottom corner, he looked ace. And then as soon as it came to play in front of a crowd, I don't know what it was. He, he just couldn't do it at all. It wasn't actually his ability that no. was a problem. He just couldn't find a way of actually... Turn that into any sort of form on a match day because you saw the odd flash when he was at Aberdeen. It was, was absolutely a player there, but he's never been able to unlock that. Did he have one of Anka
5: Donas? That was it. his money. He had a pocket full of coins yeah. and he was. But Sonny Aluko there as well at the same time? No. No,
2: that was a wee bit beforehand. Yeah.
5: Handful of olives ready go. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> the best thing with James Wilson for us is we had him on loan and he was honking and then we decided, you know what, we'll sign him permanently. And it's just like, what are we doing? It's such a. Such
2: a Derek McInnes
1: <laughs> kind of signing, where it's just like, we'll do that? Ah, fuck it, yeah. We'll, we'll try that.
2: It's that thing, because I spoke to Derek McInnes in my old work about him, and he did say, much like them that if he played the way he trained, he'd be the best nine in the league. But yeah, just never worked out. And then we signed him permanently, and we then shifted him to right wing.
6: Yeah. When he was a kid at United, when he was playing sort of under-23s under or whatever, and when he was about 18, playing mm. under-23s, he was unbelievable. Yeah. It, it, his goal record was... Phenomenal. So I think it's probably just like you say. It's a bit different playing in front of sort of two men and a dog at the cliff than it is sort of playing in front of a and and playing in front of Petodry. You know, two seagulls and a dog. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: He scored for United, didn't he? At Old Trafford, like
6: his debut. There on his debut, you got to. So, I mean, I yeah.
1: don't know. I, I I got the impression of Wilson he was a guy who got probably a decent amount of wedge at a very young age because they put him, did Van Gaal not put him on like a ridiculous deal as well? They were like the, fu- the future of the yeah. English football.
6: Standard Van Gaal Pater, Yeah, he put him on a ridiculous deal and also shifted him out to the wing. Kept playing him on the wing because United had about five centre forwards at that point, but he really wanted to play him, so it just never worked out. He's he's now he's now in Stoke. At Port Vale so it's not even at the best team in Stoke.
2: I did not expect to talk so much about James Wilson. Tonight. No, I didn't, I didn't.
6: No. Who thought of this? Record? What are we talk about?
5: Well, James Wilson obviously <laughs> gonna come up.
2: Sonia Luco and his
5: olives. It's, you know. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, well, that's <laughs> the food, obviously, I presume. Um uh, the last man United player I've seen play against Saints was Mason Greenwood. Let's well, not. <laughs> but let's move on from that one. That's probably Yeah, I th- I think we can move on. A particularly grey area we should probably avoid. <laughs> I'll
2: edit that out. <laughs> we'll keep it in. <laughs> Fuck it, we don't care. Um, <laughs> I've already retracted a tweet accusing Charlie Adam of match-fixing. So, uh, have you... <laughs> Did you delete that? Exactly. Oh, I, I. It was all written out. And then I was like, right. you probably can't say things and then just say allegedly at the end of the month. Right. I'm going to tell you about Charlie
6: Adam before we actually <laughs> go back to football. Right. So, obviously, he was at Blackpool. And when he was at Liverpool, I think Stoke, too, it's commutable. Well, for a footballer, it's commutable. Anyway, so he lived in um he rented a house off a guy I played five side with for years. I mean, it wasn't like he was renting a flat down, you know, in a not particular as part of Blackpool. It was like this massive million quid house or whatever. And Ed, the guy, the landlord, I think the nicest thing he ever said about him was he always pays the rent on time. That was it. Yeah. Yeah, that was that. That was, I don't think he was actually any bother but he was just strange, strange
5: lad It's like when you get an appraisal at work and you're not allowed to say anything bad and you have to say, like he's regularly on time to his work and that's, all, that's all, they can, <laughs> all they're allowed to say about you Turns up every day Yeah, he, he turns up and sometimes he completes his work Ah, well, good for him
6: <laughs> Sometimes um... he smashes
1: a defensive ball across his own box in a must-win game <laughs> to relegate his boyhood team
6: Top man but he wears the armband nicely. Fills it out and them big <laughs> chunky armband. He still has all his teeth, kinda. <laughs>
5: um, okay. Just before we move back, you talked about retracting tweets. I put out a tweet. It's the only one I've had to delete and apologise for. Was we were up in Aberdeen. It was the one where Steve Ed, from earlier on in the season, and then we were in a a pub near Pottadri, and I walked in. Not a golf
6: club. No, a golf, golf, golf club. club. That's where we were
5: for a beer, and I commented on the fact that every single person in there no matter if they're 8 years old or women or anybody, everybody had a Aberdeen top on everybody and I just thought that was really really weird I don't know why but apparently it's not according to, I went out, all these weirdos are wearing football kits and everyone went that's alright I'm like fuck fuck this <laughs> I thought I'd get a laugh going oh look at these idiots but no no apparently it's alright but fair play yes. and that's the only one you've had to delete that's pretty good going to be fair Like, oh no we had to delete one about Vernon uh, taking drugs with Craig Brown. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, there is a backstory to that, but we won't get into it. No, it was actually was that not actually posted to the official St. Johnson account to begin with? Because the guy we are on the <laughs> um, on the bus with um does a lot of the tweets for the actual club, but he posted a tweet about uh is it Scott was it Scott Vernon? Yeah. Is that yeah. his name?
2: Yeah. Scott Vernon um, taking
5: drugs with Craig Brown at the back of the bus and he put it on the official St. Johnson tweet page. We spotted it within two seconds. It got deleted before it got screenshotted, <laughs> thankfully.
6: Oh, no, the best one he ever did, right? This was his finest moment. Was He put out a tweet um, and it was, we we're playing Rangers. And it was just somewhat daft like um, the referees added on three, minute, three minutes of stoppage time. But then at the end of that, he put a, a four-leaf clover emoji <laughs> at the end of it. <laughs> that got taken down yeah uh, you got a job for that within about two seconds
5: that was you got a bit older for that one but anyway sorry we've digressed a fair amount I feel like we're good at that
1: that's what it's all about isn't it let's (laughs) what what do you think then I mean what's your what's your view about the playoff I mean who do you want between our both and Inverness and do you fancy your chances against
6: either um If you asked me this at this time last week, it would have been an entirely different answer. And it would have been, no, we're going down. We could play against the dog and duck and (laughs) lose in the playoff. But no, it was it. I think after Saturday, I'm probably a little bit more, um, a little bit more positive. Um, I'd probably fancy, you know what? I'd want Inverness for two reasons. A, I want an overnight on a Friday night in Inverness. And two... as good
1: a reason as any, to be fair.
6: Yeah, so there's three reasons. Two, I didn't think they looked all that against Partick. I think they look pretty beatable. And three, I just cannot be arsed with the media narrative around our yeah, yeah, we we're, we're on a
1: hiding and nothing if we play our brother. Have you guys gone all Kilmarnock now? And it was like...
6: We've gone a bit killy on matters. You know what? It's brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant what they've done. But it's not just... it's. I don't know what it I don't know what it is, and I think it's just going to be it's not so much the whole narrative around it and the whole people giving them big licks because they absolutely deserve it, do not get me wrong, but it'd be the fact that if they beat us, and we just wouldn't be able to go wouldn't be able to upon anything on BBC, Scotland or whatever for about a year, because they'd just be constantly reminded of it. Sky Sports needs to be the same. They'd properly caught on to Dick Campbell. Dick Campbell's an arse I'm not a fan (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for this I was waiting for this to come on
5: you offered my wife the big dick experience at a a sports dinner one night you're like come on dick you're better than that you're better than that dick (laughs) honestly (laughs)
4: what I'd
5: like to know what the big dick
1: experience (laughs) is though I, I'm not quite sure, but... With his bonnet on, does he keep it on for the big day? Or is that, is I, that, is I, that the gold I, package?
5: The <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite the person that's quite attracted to my wife, between Sonny Aluko and Dick Campbell. It's all the all the big names in Scottish football. It's, it's also quite a spectrum, I'm going to suggest. Yeah, it really it really yeah. is, yeah. Um, it covers all the bases, to be fair. No, she doesn't. They do. Say. Yeah. <laughs> She's literally standing in the kitchen just shaking her head at me. I'm sorry, love. All right, do you want to come say hiya? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I am in my pyjamas. That's okay, come and say hi, <laughs> <laughs> Hello 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 <laughs> No We're just saying that you enjoy When uh, Sonny and Luca was eating olives You were eating monster munch
7: Space,
5: Space, Space Raiders Space Raiders, my mistake <laughs> nah, I, I got the corn snack element right Which is the most important can, part of that Can can, can share me some? Uh, probably, can you hear Danny? Yeah Go for it
6: no, no, I don't want it to hear me. Oh, no, no. <laughs> okay, then then she can't. I prefer Lynn to Sam. Like, Lynn's a better friend to me than Sam has ever been. Harsh, I feel. No, that No, was, that's that was, that was false and wrong. But I'm just trying to bottle her up for the next bit. Yeah, that's a fair she point. still what? Uh, no, she's No. Can I, can I tell the boys my nickname for it? Go on. A low-rent line of Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> she's there I can see you looking <laughs> at her <laughs> I, can, I can see you looking Danny at her Danny says your
5: nickname's a low rent Lana Wolf
6: <laughs> don't tell her that you big grass
5: she's heard that chat before to be fair it's fine I, it's, know, it's, it's yeah, I you. know
6: she has but not from me
5: <laughs> says, uh, I think I was said when you order Lana Wolf off wind, <laughs> I which I thought was bit a bit harsh I could
3: say my better version Lana Wolf
6: let it all a Classier version,
3: thank you very much.
5: A classier version, it's indeed. Classier yes. version.
3: It
6: all adds up. You support ranges, you've got blonde hair. That, that's it. All you need to be doing next is singing 10 German bombers, and you've absolutely, you, we've got bingo. She doesn't get her fanny out for a fiver, though. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I can't believe you. I know I led you to that, but Jesus, Christ, I didn't expect you to take you up on it.
5: So Aberdeen versus St. Johnson, Wednesday at McDevitt Park. <laughs>
6: Why does it always end up like this with us?
5: I don't know. We usually try to do a forty-five minute episode, and I've got two and a half hours to try and edit down because this is a kind of nonsense it divulges into. I apologize. Oh man! <laughs> 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 All right. So, um, right.
2: Where do we go? Where do we go from there? Does anyone want yeah. to do a
1: prediction for Wednesday night?
2: Predictions?
3: Yeah. A big fat nil-nil every day of the week.
6: Lovely. Nil-nil.
3: Yeah, uh, nil nil was going to be my shout. It's going to be rank, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's going to be horrible, horrible football match. Played out in a pre season. Are we all okay? Gav. Uh
2: one the Aberdeen. Terry Jex to throw the ball in the net again. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right. Just kick the boys when they're down. Gav, there you go. Uh,
1: I'm to say nil nil as well.
6: <laughs> i tell you what, it's a good job. This has been a laugh for every other reason apart from football, because that was a, getting a dull set of predictions. there I'm tr-
2: I'm trying to work out the last time we actually properly talked about the game. <laughs> about 45 minutes ago, we fair. As the person editing as well, I'm just like, it probably like
6: stopped around right about
2: 10
5: yeah, minutes. Yeah, I'm, I'm like this for Dan and a Rabbit. I'm just I'm just hitting like marks on my on my machine going right, I can cut that
6: out, I can cut that bit out.
5: <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the Lana Wolf stuff isn't going to make the cut, them, unfortunately. No. <laughs> To be fair, there was a section of the podcast we did when Saints were really, really bad where I just started reading out pages of Lynn's diary from
3: 1997. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just to fill the time.
5: <laughs> yeah, just to fill up the time. That was, that was good fun. I love it.
2: There are some tough creative
5: decisions be made on this part, I can tell you that much. Gavin, there are no
1: tough creative decisions being made here. It's all going so cool. in. Yeah.
5: She now <laughs> broadcasts in Aberdeen Monday to Friday, so you will be able to pick her up on pure radio. Uh, between Lovely. 10 and 2 I don't know what it's on One, six points something I can't remember what it is But there you go
2: I can't believe we're going to include This whole segment And a chat with the man who scored The winner against John Wooden in 1983 In the
5: same episode I it's know It's astounding
6: hey, You got John Hewitt Aye aye yeah Where I'm
5: sorry go? to lower the tone Or if his family are ever going to be listening to him he's going to tune in It's like what, What's happening here <laughs> You're saying that You've not heard the John Hewitt interview <laughs> man <Am I right? laughs> Uh, it was almost as good as discovering that only fans for the first time scoring against <laughs>
6: <laughs> <In>
5: every
1: <Real Madrid. laughs> um, boys, Sam, Danny, let's wrap up here. I think, hey, let's uh, we'll, we'll we'll finish up here. Hey, listen, it's been a pleasure, guys. Thanks very um, much for
6: having us. It's been a blast. Oh, cheers, boys. We will let, let's get back together again
1: next season on the basis, obviously, that you are uh, you secure your premiership status. Um, otherwise I'm sure we might play in a pre-season game or something who knows we we, we usually do yep yeah. or uh, we
5: might get in the we might get in the League Cup uh, qualifying rounds oh well, that's going to be fun isn't it? That? oh that'd be a rare treat back to that again <laughs> fucking hell fucking hell bro anyway
1: Sam Danny Dogger Saints thank you for joining us on the EBSF podcast catch you later on
6: pleasure thanks again man. see you later on bye bye great fun, boys yeah. see you later take care and then we wrap up this
1: miserable campaign at home to St Mirren on Sunday afternoon the 12 noon start for this one both sides now safe following St Mirren finally picking up a couple of wins away at St Johnston, and then at home to Dundee. Let's be honest, boys. Is there anything really worth talking about here? That's that's I know. It's a tumbleweed just went across my floor. Curtis Main scored a good goal for St
2: Mirren yesterday. Curtis Main scored a goal.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's a it's a good strike. He he fairly
2: smashes it. One of his yearly yearly good ones. Yeah. It, it
1: it feels as though it was one of these ways just hit it as hard as he possibly could, and it just happens to float at the top corner. But it's a good goal nonetheless. Um, tell you what, I cannot, I, 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 honestly cannot be arsed
2: talking about us playing St. Manon. I genuinely cannot be bothered. Um, it's just a game where I think that a number of people will be mentally on the beach. I'm kind of surprised Kirsten Ramirez won't be, just literally. I'm still amazed he didn't come away with a red card against Ryan Porteous, but nevertheless. Um, there's the interesting dynamic of it being Goodwin's first game against St. Manon since he left. Is it, though? It's a game that means nothing. Well, it's just that football history, football, you know, football manager styles mean that we're going to win this game by about three or four goals to nil. Love it. Well,
1: there's a prediction. So, Graham, come on, you need a prediction and we'll, we'll, go, we'll go from there.
2: And I, I do know so that Guy will not be there, but Graham and I will be there, maybe. And uh, but I'm looking forward to the points afterwards.
3: I don't share your optimism, so I'm going to say nil-nil. It's going to be absolutely gross. Two teams that just literally don't want to be there.
2: Actually, you know what? The fitting way to end the season is a Curtis main winner.
3: If neither team turns
2: up, what's the outcome of that? I'm calling it the same way I said to Gavin on the, from Hibbs last week. Just Joe Lewis and Shaughnessy meet in the middle. Handshake, call it a draw.
1: Just call it a nail on the draw. That's us done. Christian can maybe catch the, the tea time flight to Heathrow and get back to LA. Like
2: twelve hours earlier than he thought he would
3: never to be seen again. <laughs>
2: Instagram pictures of the beaches all summer.
3: <coughs> yeah, and he would just be getting bombarded with me making my account public, sending him the Oxford English Dictionary definition of a beach. <laughs> just be pictures of me tearing up in like my on the beach in like my eight layers because it's fucking freezing, but still it's a beach. <laughs>
1: So there we go, I'm going to say nil nil as well Not Just nothing to play for, nobody who gives a shit I think if anyone who has the, the bravery to attempt Patoja next week Fair play to you, let's get this season
3: put to bed The only reason I'm going is I hope Goodwin's not a dick And I hope Constantine gets some sort of <laughs> meaningful appearance and send off he won't even be on the bench. <laughs> <Aye>. <laughs> he'll,
2: do, he'll do the halftime draw. <laughs>
3: yeah.
1: He's just gonna send another message to you. Right. Uh that wraps up part one of this week's slightly shambolic show, it's fair to say. We're sorry. We're not. Join us after the break as we bring you the second installment of our chat with John Hewitt. I feel almost like we're besmirching the good name of John Hewitt here by having a first half of a show that sounds like this, but never mind. Fittingly, for a show that goes out on Gothenburg Day itself, we're going to focus our chat on that 1982-83 campaign in its entirety. To place out this half, here's Gentle Sinners, the new project between Massive Dons fan James Graham from The Twilight Sad and Scottish music hero legend Aidan Moffat with their single Face to Face after Naiman. The new album from Gentle Sinners is out this Friday, 13th of May head over to gentlesinners.com to pick up your copy. You can follow the guys on Twitter at gentle underscore sinners. Here's Gentle Sinners with face to face after
3: Naiman. Of me
0: this episode of the abz football podcast is brought to you by mcginty's meal and ale your home of live sports and hearty scottish food situated at 504 union street it's a great location for your pre and post-match refreshments with taxi rank and bus stops on the doorstep from casual catch-ups with your friends to live music and celebrity sportsman's lunches McGinty's has had a place in the heart of many Dandy Dons for the past 13 years.
1: Welcome back to the ABZ Football. Podcast, before we head on to the second instalment with John, we shout out to Malcolm McCallum and one anonymous individual for putting their bread on the table. We see you, we acknowledge you, keeping us topped up in coffee and beers to bring this particular brand of nonsense to you.
2: The coffee is essential for editing this fucking nonsense, this week especially. I have the fear on your behalf, Gavin. I'm not going to lie. I might just let it run rogue. Fuck it. No one knows
1: the difference. Um, If you'd like to pop us a beer... Or a coffee, head on over to ko-fi.com slash abz football podcast. But now it's time for part two of our conversation with John Hewitt, where we talk about that magical 1982 83 campaign that culminated in that memorable night in the Swedish rain and a fergie tongue lashing at Hamden Park. John Hewitt, welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. So we wrapped up part one with the Dons having just secured the 1981 82. Scottish Cup you're partying with Burt Lancaster at Glen Eagles and of course winning the Scottish Cup sees us take our place in the 1982-83 European Cup Winners Cup now as we were just talking about this episode is going to go out on the 11th of May it'll be the 39th anniversary of that glorious night in Gothenburg so it's only fitting that we spend I think some time talking about that season and how that all culminated but before we move on to that we never touched on this in part one because we kind of ran out of time a little bit but that 81-82 season actually ends up being your best in terms of goal scoring and starts I think 39 starts that season 19 goals in all competitions so you're probably coming into the, the following season thinking right here we go first choice striker ready to hit the ground running uh,
7: didn't look it that way and then obviously with the lead up to the, the, the champ uh, uh, sorry the top when I, stopped, I I picked up a serious uncle injury you know it a out of football for quite a considerable amount of time and I just felt that I wasn't going to take any part in the run-up to the, the Bayern game, you know, which was really disappointing. I was gradually getting myself to better my fitness levels. Probably weren't, wouldn't be as good as it should be, match fitness-wise, you know. But I knew Sir Alex would have given me the chance to come on the bench, you know, in the hope that I would come on and sneak the goal, you know. So um, that was my only hope and. Sure enough, as it happened, uh, I I was on the bench, you know. So I was really, I was quite delighted because, as I say, I, I was struggling really by myself properly, much fit, you know. But you know, on the bench and you know, in being part of such a fantastic evening and occasion, little did we know what was get up and out on the night, you know. But um, the guys were superb in the first leg in Germany. told you that, and they'll know result. The boss telling us, look, the hard work's just got to start happening now you know, we're playing against the, actually the, the, the Germany national team you know, they had 11 internationalists in their side, we knew it was going to be a, a really tough ask and uh, as the game panned out, you know we, we, we've done unbelievably well to combat from behind on two occasions and then just truly really managed to sneak the one at the end
1: Listen, we'll come on all that in all good times First of all I mean the Cup Winners Cup campaign itself It gets off To a flyer An 11-1 win Over Sion Onagre Includes a 7-0 win At Potodri You scored in both the legs Of that tie Was there a belief in the squad At the start of the season And with the manager That listen We could maybe do something Pretty special in
7: Europe This season I said Alex You always had belief In what we could achieve You know Because he always set the bar Higher each season And he wanted us to go And try and push ourselves That wee bit more You know And uh, this, the early seasons, you know, we had a taste of it. You know, against Liverpool, who were the best side in in um, European football, against Hamburg. So these were these were eight uh, games for us to play against and this was against arguably the, the top top sides in, in European football. You know, so uh, but the 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 eighty two eighty three season was um, was special. You know, it was special. Little did we know where we would end up getting to as um, you say the journey started against Sion in a beautiful mountainside side in Switzerland and it was, it was just fantastic you know we, we never thought for one minute we would get it this easy you know over the two legs but that's that's what it was and that's where the journey started
1: and it's interesting because the league campaign actually gets off to quite an inauspicious start uh, we are beaten by the United I think on the opening day of the season a draw with St Mirren, a defeat to Rangers means that we start the season with only one win in our opening four fixtures. We also exit the League Cup in the quarterfinal stage to United as well, losing out 4-1 on aggregate. Given the start, you know, out of the League Cup, the league has started, you know, not in the best of ways. In a way, do you think that already the managers may be starting to think about Europe as being an area to kind of focus in on?
7: Uh, possibly. Possibly, he never really said anything. You know, he always used to say to us. You know, would you rather be playing in this wonderful European nights at Petardie, or would you rather be sitting at home watching Coronation Street? You know, so <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was the that was the incentive. You know, but yeah, I mean, as a football player, these are the games you love to play in, in Petardie in front of a big crowd and European opposition. It always seemed to bring the best out of us as a team. You know, so we we'll look forward to our, our European adventures.
1: How do you think that was that the European night seemed to bring the best out of the geyser team?
7: I really don't know. I mean, I think from back then, you know, that we had a a squad of players who were everybody was comfortable with the ball in possession, you know, and in and, and that days you could bust it back to the goalkeeper the goalkeeper yeah. would pick it up as well, you know. So you knew how to sort of stifle teams from a hard to do it. But we also knew when we played in 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 Europe, it, we, were, we were comfortable. We could keep possession of the ball, and that was the secret. When you played away from home, you know it was so important that you didn't give a ball away cheap. The, the manager kept stressing at this, and uh, we were a side that were really doing that. You know, so it really quite suited our style. Of play.
1: Yeah, and and talking about you know keeping hold of possession, you know shutting games down in a way, being able to man, you know have game management. The Dinamo Tirana tie in round one proper of the Cup Winners' Cup that season is almost a perfect example of that. It's a a, a narrow one 0 win in the home leg. Yours truly with the goal for that one, and it's in the away leg we grind out a 0-0 draw in Albania to see us through. Your your recollections, I guess, first John about the goal at Potrdje against Tirana, and then also the trip to Albania itself and how that all kind of came about.
7: Yeah, um, it was funny. I was I was on a chat and. Um, Wednesday night with some of my ex-colleagues and one of the pictures came up was the goal I actually scored against Tarana you know the header so little did I know that it was going to be the goal it was going to get us through the tie you know I mean it was important to go over there with that that lead but um, the trip itself was it was horrendous first time we'd ever been to uh, Albania you know and we landed we're kept in like this a wooden shark for about Three hours, you know, they just held us there. There was no passport control or nothing, you know, it was just a shark. And I you know, just try to make things as comfortable for us as they possibly could. And then we eventually got out of there. But we were on, you could call it, it, was like an old work bus, you know, with a, a bit in the bit in the bus where you used to put your luggage up on. It was nice. the, like the string, you know, the string <laughs> sort of bit. And uh, it, was, oh, it was just horrendous. And on our journey into Tehran itself, we could see was women working, n- not men, women working in the fields. Um, And when we arrived there as well, I mean, back home, it was uh, in broadcast, uh, broadcast in the Evening Express that it was a military coup on, and then and nobody could, nobody knew, knew what was happening with us because the uh, communication was and that so it was it was a real experience. I mean, we got to the hotel. It was one of these big multi-story hotels. Um, the rooms were really really basic. It was like two single beds. Um, in each room, really basic. What we did is we actually took our own food across okay. because we were told, to, and we we never knew what, what to expect when we got there. It was, <laughs> as I say, a real experience. The night before the uh, the game, we actually managed. Meal, and then went out. It's like it was like a big square outside the hotel. Uh, so we ventured out for a, a wee walk, and I think within thirty seconds, all these locals dressed in black, you know, uh, appeared from nowhere. And I was one like one light it shone onto the square, and it was quite eerie. So we quickly about turned and headed straight back into the hotel. And then on the day of the game. It was just like one long street to the stadium. Um, I remember, because it was like around about midday and it was extremely warm. You know, Temperature-wise, it was really, really warm. The stadium itself was really, it run down, which was so close to the to the stand. And the stands was just made out of a concrete box, you know, so it was just shaped, uh, it's the seating was just shaped in concrete box. Um, Toilets, well, no toilets. It was a hole in the hole in the ground, you know. So the boys were all laughing about. It. Again, it was it was a real real uh, a battle for the boys. that played, you know, they had to get roll sleeves up in it. With as I say, the conditions was extremely warm. But we managed to get through the tie, nil nil, and up the first leg goal was enough to see us through the game.
1: Absolutely, and and for you personally, like we you just touched on it a minute ago. This must be a really kind of like funny season for you to kind of look back on. Not funny in a ha-ha way, but it ends in such, you know, glory at the end of it. But you end up with a terrible injury to your, I think it's your ankle ligaments, isn't it? Against Motherwell in early
7: October. Yeah, yeah. well, well that's right, yeah. What was it that happened there? I was just to come on the park and uh, big, it was big game four. It was just absolutely half my two, you know, and the way he caught me I twisted my ankle and, I knew right away it was a bad one you know and I was in cluster for somewhere in the region about 12 to 14 weeks with it you know it was just one of these things it just took so long to clear and then when I eventually got out you know I mean I, I was like the chicken leg I had you know I had to rebuild up the muscles on the leg and get the movement in the ankle and stretch out the ligaments so there was a lot of work involved and then, then on top of that I had to start doing a lot of jogging and actually up my, my exercise and my <laughs> fitness, and it, it took me some time, you know, to get myself out there, and, and that's what I was saying. It my drive was to try and get fit, as fit as I could, for the for the, the Bayern game. You know, I d- I never thought for one minute that I would have been included in the, in the squad. You know, but that was my drive, and I was lucky enough to, to be involved over the two legs, albeit I didn't in Germany. You know. But, um, managed to, on the bench, um, the second leg, and managed to go the (laughs) winning
1: goal. I mean, for you as well, it must have been so frustrating because, like I said earlier on, your 81-82 campaign had been so good, and you'd been an integral part as well of the first team in the earlier start of the season. Just to miss that chunk of games must have just been so annoying. Yeah,
7: as a football player, and boys will tell you, you know, these things happen. You don't go out your way to get injured. You know, you go out there, you go in the park, maybe at all, and sometimes, you know, guys will sail through the career without any injuries, and then guys will get the odd injury now and again, and some guys will just get big with injuries, you know. Yeah. For me, that season, it was it was a real shocker, you know, because as you say, prior the season, prior had good season, I was looking forward to the, the season ahead of us, and, and it was a stop start, mainly a stop season for me, you know, with injuries, and it anybody will tell you it's so difficult when you when you're, you're you do all your pre-season and you're really fit and then you get play and then you get injured then we get a bad one you could be out for months and it's like starting all over again you know so it's, it's difficult but it's just something you've got to overcome and, and get yourself fit again and work your way gradual but for much fitness
1: It's interesting as well because at this point the kind of league form picks back up for the side uh, we end up going unbeaten through the whole month of October right the way through to mid-December. Um, it's a 2-1 home defeat to Celtic, I think, that ends that unbeaten run. So the kind of title challenge is kind of back on the table all of a sudden. Sam was in that run as a 3-0 aggregate win over Lech Poznan in the second end of the Cutler's Cup. Uh, a 2-0 home leg that probably should have been more. Uh, cause I think we hit the woodwork like three times, I think, in that yeah. game. Um, Mark McGee, Pierre, away with the goals within a couple of minutes of each yeah. other. Were you... Because you were out injured, obviously. Were you still, though... Like in and around, like the dressing room, the first team with with the, the manager, like you still to be involved because some managers are like, I don't want to see injured players
7: here at all. No, 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 no. you yeah. I mean, you're in the you're in the dressing room with the boys. You know, every day getting changed and that. The only difference is I'm in the treatment table uh, and doing my work with the physio. And the guys are out on the training part. You know, so that was the hard bit. You know, not being able to go and with the guys out at uh, Seaton Park or wherever we were training. But um, as I say, the the thing for me was to try and get myself fit as quickly as possible because I just had that feeling, you know, that something was going to happen, you know, and we were drawn against Bayern, you know, I mean, you didn't get any bigger incentive than wanting to be fit, try and be involved in that game, you know, so that was the one that sort of spurred me on. Dougie Bell's the hero in Poland. It's another really professional performance. Uh, a goal just before the
1: hour mark. 1-0 win. sees us progressing in the quarterfinals. 3-0 in aggregate. You've just touched on it there. Bayern Munich are the team that are drawn out of the hat in the quarterfinals. Can you remember just like the reaction of the manager? Your own reaction to the news we'd got them?
7: Yeah, it was sheer excitement. Sheer excitement because um, we knew that probably been drawn against. And the manager was like, he said this after... The game, second leg game, he didn't say at the time, but we knew we'd probably be against the best team in the competition. We were pretty confident about our own selves, you know, as, as, a, as a side, we're never scared against anybody, you know, but we're, as I say, we were comfortable in possession of the ball and we um, were looking forward to the challenge. Again, it was another one, you know, that Sir Alex used to say well, there's, a, there's another challenge for you. you got to to me that you're beating this side, you know. And the first leg in Germany, the, the guys were immense, you know. I mean, it was a, a magnificent performance because um, there's not many teams would go over there and, and come away with that and i no draw, you know. So he said this, you know, when we came back, hard work was just to start happening in the second leg when they move over here. It sure was, you know, the, the game itself, as you know, we went behind early on, we got back in the game, we went behind again, then we managed to get back level terms and then we managed to get the winning goal, you know, and it was just like dead limit between that night. The defence the
1: Scottish Cup opens up with a, a 4-1 hammer and a hibs at Easter road, followed up with a 1-0 win uh, over Dundee at, at Petodje in the fourth round in the Scottish Cup. Again, the league forms going kind of remained good. We're on beating through January and February. It includes a, a 2-0 win over Rangers at a 3-1 win at Celtic Park, a trick from Eric Black for that one. So we're still fighting on three fronts at this point. There's still the league, the Scottish Cup, and the Cup Winners' Cup are still all in contention. Um, but of course, all eyes are focusing in on that Bayern Munich tie. Uh, you make the bench in Munich which we touched on earlier on. It's your first match back in the squad, I think, after that injury yeah. against Motherwell. And you touched on it. I mean, it's a a masterclass of a performance from, from Aberdeen. Real tactical acumen, concentration throughout that full 90 minutes to frustrate, as you touched on, it's basically the West German national side at that point. Um, Al McLeish, Willie Miller in particular, kind of marshalling beside to, you know, I'm being biased because I'm an Aberdeen fan, obviously, but I'll argue against anyone to say that's probably the finest away performance by a Scottish club
7: in Europe. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that, you know. I mean, I was there, I saw it, you know, and every man to himself, they were just magnificent. You know, it was a real performance and the the guy should have been really proud of because we were playing against a real, real club side then, you know and it's not even
1: like it's a backs to the wall type performance we have chances to score goals in that game it's a really it's it's a performance which is like watching a continental european side it's almost like watching an italian side or even a german side at that time going out executing a game plan yeah looking threatening when they can threaten but being really solid it's a it's a remarkable it's a remarkable um performance all around on alex and willie just just Specifically from it Just for you What was it about them Do you think That really gelled So well To make them such a formidable pairing Which was then only heightened When you added You know Jim Leighton to the mix behind Stuart Kennedy John McMaster Doug V Supplementing on the sides as well What was it about Alec and Willie Do you think that just made them Such a phenomenal pairing
7: it's Such a great understanding You know Between the pair of them And Very good You know That is it In a nutshell They we were probably Scotland's finest, you know, for a decade. And we were lucky enough to have him playing in our side, you know. And uh, as you say, we, it wasn't just about Alec and, and, and Willie. I mean, we had such a, a talented squad of players, you know, Jim Layton, John McMaster, Gordon Strachan, Martin McGee, Eric Black, Neil Cooper. every one these guys were, were worthy of, in in, in the the Aberdeen side, you know, because they were all...
1: For you as well, it must have been a massive confidence boost, if nothing else, that the manager decided, I'm going to stick you on the bench for this one, given the injury problems you would
7: had. Yeah, as I said, I I really... I I never... Because deep down, I knew I wasn't properly much fit, you know, because I didn't have enough game time. When you've come back from a serious injury, you need to get games you need really to get back to your proper match fitness, I would say half a dozen games under your belt. That's you really, but your sharpness, your touch, everything's there. Because, you know, I I was sort of getting myself back and I was sort of thrown in at the deep end. I I was just delighted to be involved, i.e. on the bench, you know, and I was thinking, well, I'll have another uh, couple of weeks before we play the second leg and hopefully I'll maybe manage to squeeze in a couple of reserve games as well, which will help as well, you know. So at uh, the same time, I was hoping and I was saying that I was getting to e involved again, probably on the bench, you know, for the second leg, and, and that's the way it turned out to be. Absolutely. A
1: 2-1 win at Fur Hill on the Saturday before the Bayern home game sees us progress into the Scottish Cup semi-final. But then it's all eyes are on Patodrius' greatest night, the 16th of March, 1983. We've just touched on it, you, you, you're back into the squad uh, from Munich away, back on the bench again for the home leg. Did the gaffer give you any kind of particular words of encouragement or anything like that when he does give you that, you know, you're, you're going to be
7: on the bench tonight, John? And... No, no, I mean, obviously, just Archie and, and, and Sir Alex were really very thorough on opposition, you know. We would, we'd probably, on the Monday, we'd have a chat in the dressing room before we went out of training and then back in after training and we'd have like a dossier on the individual in the squad and how they played in their recent matches and what their strengths and weaknesses were and how we were against them to try and exploit their weaknesses. You know, they were, really, in that sense, unbelievably good, you know. Um, it was just it was just building up the belief and the confidence, you know, to go out there and, and enjoy it. Enjoy it. He always used to say, go out there and enjoy it. And uh, if you've enjoyed it and you've went out there and you've done everything that you can do, then I can't ask for any more, you know. And that's what we did. And as I say, we we're, were blessed with some a great squad of players. You know, it just wasn't a, a living. It was a squad, you know, a players that uh, played their part throughout the season. And um, it, was, it was just great to be be part of that squad. Your memories of the
1: atmosphere building in the ground that night, even before kickoff. Just, you know, this patology yeah, un- yeah. under under the lights, European nights is always special.
7: It was it was electric, honestly. I mean, out in your warm-up before the game started, you know, out we're in early, the atmosphere was unbelievable. You know, my granny at the time stayed up in the sort of Hill area and I mean, she could hear the noise for there. That's how loud it was. You know, when, when we scored the goals, you know, she heard the cheering and up. The atmosphere on the night was probably I'll go and record the saying. I've never ever seen an atmosphere like that ever. If Doddy, when was a player, you know, I used to go and watch him playing. Um, that night it was it was really something special that the fans got behind the team. Right for the word go, right to the very end, you know. And it was just like when the final whistle went, it was just jubilation. It was just like a big party. Everybody was jumping about, celebrating, and it's great to be part of.
1: You touched on it a minute ago as well. Um, going into the game, though, was there any looking back, I guess, from the manager at the likes of that Liverpool game, the Hamburg ties? the season before? Kind of making sure that we'd learned our lessons from those, or was it just a simple case of looking forward all the time, as far as man Yeah, concerned? I
7: mean, as I say, these were, these were sort of learning curves for us, and it was part of our progression in Europe, you know, we, we were early taste of European football, and this time we were there, you know, we were right in the mix, and we were competing with the very best. We knew we were, we were as good, and we were good enough to compete with the best. And um it was a case of having players going out in the park, stick together. And as you know, you know things didn't go our way. We went behind, but we kept playing. We got back level and then we went behind again, but we still had showed the commitment and the desire to get back into the game. We equalised and then um, eventually we managed to get the winning
1: goal. Hey, let's talk about the game in a bit more detail. Eh? It's an Aberdeen fairy tale, so it has to be done the hard way. It, it can't be... An ice easy, easy two 0 win or something. Augenthaler with the a fine effort that hits the back of Jim Leighton's goal after just about well, ten minutes, and so the West Germans have got a a crucial away goal. The, even just watching it back on, on on tape now, the deathly silence that falls around the old ladies yeah. almost memorable in itself. Before how raucous it gets later. You're sitting on the bench, obviously alongside the the Gaffer and Archie Knox. What's kind of run it through her head when when they score that one?
7: Well, we knew, you know, like he, he, he told us, you know, look, says hard work really begins in the second leg, and expect setbacks, you know, but stick together as a, as a group on the part, you know, keep doing the things that we ask you to do, be patient, be patient. That was a key thing. Keep a hold of the ball and be patient. We get opportunities, and then it was a case of try to take our opportunities and we, as I said, we believed in ourselves. You know, we weren't scared to play against anybody. You no, know, and they were the best team in the competition. So um, it was a case of the boys that were playing, starting the starting eleven. You, I mean, obviously, it's 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 a bit of a setback going behind. It was still early enough in the game, and I was lots of time left to get myself back in the game, and then semi managed to have the equalizer and. Obviously, they had another wonder goal to go two one well down. But I say it was the belief, it was the belief, and then the drive, obviously, for the fans to keep us going, and that was more the the belief for the squad and the players that you know we can compete with it. we keep playing, we'll get other opportunities, and and that's what happened, you know. Um, the infamous free kick it we, we'd worked on and yeah. with Johnny and Gordon and uh, it worked uh, worked absolutely. And then, what did we know not long after that, that long diagonal for Johnny, um not back across. It. And I always keep saying, I think the goalkeeper got, got in two bounds whether either to hurry it over the bar, you know, from Eric's header or yeah. physically catch it. But it was one of these Op- and one of these things did neither and they sort of like got it and then sort of dropped it and then I was always told as was Eric and Mark and the rest of the front, front players always follow things on the top of the goalkeeper you know we worked at training all the time because we might spill it and it might not it might be the only opportunity the game you get if you're there and you picked it in the back and it won the game 1-0 so I was just watching the flight of the ball. I seen Eric getting up, bang, it's head towards goal. And the next minute, it was in, I was in so quick. The ball actually, if you see it, the ball sort of, sort of breaks to the, the side of me, just on my left-hand side. Because the, the, the six-yard box and that was quite muddy and slippery, my right leg starts to go from underneath me, and I've just managed to stick out my left leg the side and just hook it around the ball, and Just hitting the ball, I, I had no idea where it was going. Fortunately, for it went through the goalkeeper's legs. But you no, know, that was it. You know, again, but it, just following things in and making sure I was there, and that that's what happened. And fortunately, it was it was enough to to get us the winning goal.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the three goals that night are like they're such a perfect example. I think about the way that we as a team were at the time. You know, you've got. Semi's goal shows that real determination To follow in and you know get over the line And, and yeah. win that 50-50 And get knocked the ball home The second goal, I mean it's How is it described again? A piece of perfectly executed Tomfoolery I think is how it's described yeah. But it's just It's wonderful to watch because it's just so well done And so well executed At yeah. a moment of real pressure To execute as well as it's executed At that time yeah. is, is, is phenomenal And you're right Underneath it Aren't
7: you? Well, yeah. I actually, knew Alec was there. I would have got my head on it as well, Hi. but I, I saw it coming in the front of me, and I actually dug out, out the road so he could get his head on. And big man, in. <laughs> you know. So it's, it's just you get memories when you when you think back, and it, you know, and it was just such a special evening that night. Never never experienced anything like that again, Dodgy. I mean, it's it's that
1: thing, isn't it? Like you. You get all the credit, obviously, for coming off the bench. You score the winning goal in that game. John McMaster's has come off the bench, I think, 10 minutes before you did, I think. And he's integral yeah. in uh, the two yeah. goals as well that we end up scoring. It's He's obviously involved with striking for the free kick. It's his long diagonal to Eric Black that leads That's eventually right. to the winning goal. Um, can't you remember? I mean, I presume that this is just a moment that is just almost blank because of the euphoria. But when the ball hits the net from, from your finish... Pathology Goes Berserk, again, is the, the other famous saying it. Can you remember the, the memories of the noise, what's running through your head when it goes on? I mean, even Willie loses his mind temporarily. Yeah. Uh,
7: no uh, minute, uh, it's the pictures of a wee Gordon. <laughs> a wee Gordon was running, <laughs> shaking his arms, yeah. and it was really funny. But for me, it was quite emotional for me because um, my wife, Lorraine, uh, well, it, it was, um, if you want it at the time, she had said, you know, that... Um, I was going to come off the bench and score a winning goal, you know. So, And she said to me, look, if you do, you need to blow my kiss. So when I was sort of running back to the halfway line, I looked across and I saw her in the main stand. So I blew her a kiss. And I, but it was it was just, I can't explain it. You know, you had to be there. Fans where I've seen it and heard it, and mostly me knowing the part, part of the playing side of things, it was just such a special night. It was fantastic.
1: And your key as well in the final moments, uh, running with the ball at the Bayern defence, keeping a hold of it, drawing a foul off of Dremler for a, a wild tackle, uh, yeah. and the final whistle just goes a moment later, and it's and, we're, and we've done it. Unbelievable moment. Can you kind can, can you put into words, John? Just you know, how much belief does a result like that put into the squad about what we could achieve now?
7: I think that after that game, there it really. It, it sort of came home to us that we could go all the way, you know. Nobody said it after beating Bayern that night. You know, it was just, it was jubilation, you know, and you, know, you see Sir Alex running down the, the, the dark side, and he was high as a kite. Everybody was so happy, you know, with the result. And it wasn't after that, you know, when he sat down and spoke to as a group, you know, and he just says, trust me, guys, what an opportunity you've got to win this Winners Cup you have just this side in European football you've got to believe in yourself now go, just go and do it go the whole whole way and you know make yourself legends make, make the, the city proud of you as, as I say we we'll, we'll believed in ourselves as a group you know and every every time we put on the shirt we went out there and gave our all you know that game was, that for me, that was, as I say, that was the turning point where I really couldn't wait to see, you know, the, the semi-final game against Watershide because we just steamrolled them, you know, yeah. so we run over the top of them and then we we'll got go the final itself. Absolutely.
1: Just the last thing on the Bayern game and then we'll, we'll move on from it. In, I, I'm presuming you've seen the, Sir Alex's kind of documentary, the thing on Amazon, the, the Never Given In documentary. Gordon Strachan talks uh, it's during the segment about the Bayern Munich game, actually. I think where he talks about that game was almost the the results of all that training and that hard work. About this idea that he was Ferguson, Sir Alex, was testing you guys. He was testing you to see who'd be big enough, strong enough, willing to go through those kind of down moments, the, the going behind twice in that game. Yeah, yeah. Do, you, do you kind of agree with Gordon on that element as well? That was what a lot of that was about.
7: Yeah, 100%. And, and that's the way Sir Alex was, was, you know, he always set the bar higher, better expectations. All, every season, that was our challenge, you know. Okay, you've done that. Let's see if you can go there. You know, and that was the next challenge. As a, as a group of players, we loved it. We jumped on board. We just wanted to be part of this special, sort uh, it was a special era at the club, you know, and we were led by probably the greatest managers for what planet. And um, it was just, you know, the, the whole city had a real buzz about it when Sir Alex came, you know, and, and, and in the early 80s till before he left, you know, that it was just, it was it was great to be living in Aberdeen, you know, because we were challenging for cups, we we're, were into cup finals, we were there, the Leagues, so it was a it was a great time to be be part of the football club. Yeah, that makes
1: wonderfully depressing listening for anyone that didn't quite catch any of that period of time. Yours truly included as well. I call, I was like late. Eighty seven was my first my yeah. first game, so just just missed out on it all. Um, unfortunately. But you know, defeats to United, to St Mirren, and Rangers after the Bayern home game kind of derailed the league challenge. It's probably although we won't, we end up finishing at a point behind United in the end those three defeats probably really put paid to chances of winning the title that season. Yeah. Was that just the case, Jink, of
7: games catching up the players, maybe a bit of a focus now on Europe? Possibly, yeah, possibly. And it's just sort of, you know, taking your eye off the, the domestic side and then you're really looking at the, the cup-winners' cup side more than anything else because you're, you're a stone's throw away of uh, getting to the, the European final and, and, and uh, one game away from the champions, you know, which it, it, we just couldn't even remember or think about at the time, you know. But as I say, as a group, always believed in myself as a group, and that was that was the thing that sort of gets forward, you know.
1: Yeah, and we touched on it. War shy of Belgium, or who were drawn against in the semi-finals. Now we're maybe a little bit fortunate with the way the draw works for us here. Um, we managed to avoid the likes of, and I have to always do this so that. Because sometimes I don't think people understand the, the the depth, the quality of teams that were in the tournament that season as well. You know, the likes of Inter Milan, uh, Paris Saint-Germain and Barcelona are all in the yeah. quarterfinal mix alongside us, uh, along with Real Madrid, obviously, as well. Yeah. Um, but it is water-shy that we draw in the semis. Um, the Belgians are blown away in the home leg at Potodri. Goals from Eric Black here. We are double for Mark McGee and Neil Simpson with probably the pick of the bunch, although I know he keeps on adding about three or four players to how many beats on the way to that one you came out the park with about 12 minutes to go I think for that one um, yeah that must have been quite nice though to be able to come on for just those final stages when you know the game's like well and truly won and you can kind of just enjoy it
7: yeah uh, I mean I, I think I was I was involved uh, I think it was Mark's goal I mean I played, I yeah. put the ball inside to be Gordon and I think wee Gordon did it across to face the goal and Mark I think Mark was there to score uh, but yeah, I mean, that night, Doogie Bell was exceptional, you know, he just they couldn't cope with Doogie because he, he, he was very strong and he was great, we were running with a ball at his feet, you know, it was like his foot and they couldn't get away from him. He he all just destroyed them that night, you know, and nobody could have ever thought that we would be taking such a big lead into the second leg in Belgium, you know, and um, but it was it was great, you know, although I mean, we, we, we knew we hadn't put Marcel in the final with the players with and the quality that were hard and the, and the back four that we had at the time. I couldn't see us losing that amount of goals in, in Belgium, you know. So we still had to be focused and, and the manager wouldn't let us get ahead of ourselves anyway, you know. So it was just focus on the game, across the air, get the job done. When we actually went across there, we lost the game... <laughs> The, the the atmosphere in the dressing room after the game, was like, it's silent. Everybody's heads were looking at their boots in the floor. We were expecting a roll looking for the manager, you know. And um, the German came in and he was just cock a you know, with a big smile on his face and congratulating everybody we'd reached the, the cup when got final. But it was the sheer fact that we'd lost that game we were all down about it yeah. we weren't worried about the fact that we got to the final we just got it because we lost the game because we thought we should have won the game that was our mindset and all the, every game we played we were expected to go there and win you know and, that, and that's the way it was you know but to Alex if you weren't a winner and you were no use to him you know you had to have that winning mentality and and we had we had that in abundance with everybody in the squad you know uh, absolutely
1: and um, just jump back really quickly obviously like like we said Simi's probably got the pick of the bunch of the goals in the first leg Uh, just talk to us a little bit about Neil Simpson and Neil Cooper who were such a driving force in that midfield and they're all local lads like yourself
7: as well yes two two of my my closest pals at the club Um, well well, obviously Neil we're both boys together we shared rooms together at the club for 10 years um, Sime as well, uh, Sime that will be a year older than me, but was played for the same boys club, middlefield boys club. You know, so we knew each other really, really well. And as you say, they were they were the engine room of our football club. And, I mean, just phenomenal players. You know, they, they went they out there and they they were the guys that chased it down, won the tackles. They could play as well, yeah. yeah. You know, the, them could really play. And I don't think they get the credit that they really deserve because, apart from you know, having the aggressive side to go and win a ball, but they were actually good as well. Absolutely, definitely. And
1: I think there's always something nice. I mean, you're an Aberdeen fan yourself, John, so you'll, you'll appreciate this as well. There's always something nice as an Aberdeen fan when you look at your team. And there's a kind of core group of Aberdeen lads in that team as well, or yeah. guys who you know are Aberdeen fans, growing up, and they just know what it means to be
7: part of that club and what that means. Yeah, and I know. you know, as you say, I was a few local boys in the squad, and every one of them was a Scotsman. You know, yeah. you don't see that nowadays yeah. in, in in the sides. That squad in '83, everyone was a Scotsman.
1: That away, a leg in Watershye as well. Um, not only do we do we lose the game 1-0, which is obviously a massive disappointment, Stuart Kennedy injures himself during the game. It's an injury that ultimately ends up costing Stuart his career. Just, um again, just your kind of memories of Stuart Kennedy as a, as a player and as a teammate.
7: He was absolutely phenomenal. Such a character. Honestly, the guys will tell you, when Stuart was in the room, Stuart was centre center stage. He would take the mic and wouldn't get a chance to speak. You know, he was unbelievable, Stuart. He still, to this day, is such a character. Uh, he's just so infectious. You know, he's got a really funny sense of humour. And Everybody will tell you that. But we're absolutely gutted for him, you know, because a model professional, yeah. um, and for him to get the injury that he did... And, missed the final was heartbreaking, you know. I mean football you know, Sir Alex did put him on the bench, you know, just because uh he, he really wanted to because I he'd been such a, a model professional for the club and, and and deserved it more than anything else. And I'm sure Stuart would have loved to have been able to play, you know, but as I say injury stole that from him or else he would have probably been playing, you know.
1: If nothing else, it says Everything about Stuart Kennedy, I think, as a man and as a player, that Sir Alex did that. You know, that took up a space on the bench for you know who for a guy who's not going to play that
7: ninety minutes. You know, yeah, should have been integral, integral yeah. part of this the team anyway. You know, and he was, as I say, an unbelievable character. He was a winner. He was a real winner. You know, and and he he pulled the other players and I put him on a bit of money part as did most of the guys because we all had that mentality, you know, and if, if anybody wasn't pulling their weight, then somebody would be telling them on the park, you know, and that's the way it was, you know, so we all sort of pulled together.
1: Yeah,
7: Everybody was gutted for Stuart, you know, we knew, and it, it was heartbreaking for him, you know, and these things happen in football, you know, and unfortunately, it's just part of
1: our life. Absolutely. In the other semi-final, it's the small matter of Real Madrid who eventually advanced 5-3 in aggregate against uh, Austria-Vienna, it uh, was that they played. What's the reaction like when news comes through that it is going to be the Spanish giants that we're going to face in Gothenburg?
7: Well, I mean, the excitement at the football club and also at the city as well, you know, because we reached the final, it was just, it was amazing. But when Sir Alex, you know, he, he, he sat us down, and he told us, he told us after the Bayern game, that we had an unbelievable chance of winning the trophy now. You know, it, nothing, he said, even before the final, he told us, "It had what uh, Real Madrid watched and nothing to be worried about. He says, if you play the way you can play, then you'll beat them. You know? And, well, again, I was on the bench, I was watching the game, you know, but for the 90 minutes, we should have won the game. You know, we created far better opportunities. Um, OK, we didn't get the, the winning goal in the 90 minutes, but over the period, we were the better side.
1: Just talk us through a little bit, John, just to build up to the final itself. I think I'm right in thinking that you roomed with Neil Cooper. Is that, is that right?
7: Yes, yeah. I know yeah. Neil, Neil, as I say, Neil and I shared rooms for about 10 years, you know, so everybody knows what Neil was like. know, I mean, such a character, a real infectious guy. You know, was, you would walk into a room and I can guarantee you within 30 seconds... There was maybe 40, 50 people in the room to have everybody laughing. You know, I'd be some sort of comment made and he would start laughing, just maybe laughing at somebody else. But then all of a sudden, everybody else in the room was laughing. It's just the type of person he was. But, um, We spoke about it, you know, the um, night before the game itself, then... Unbelievable! Two local loons. That's what he says. Two local loons and Simi obviously was there as well. But he was, I think, he was sharing with Jim later, <clears throat> and uh, we were just talking about two local loons and eve before a, a European final, and it was it was, it was great. You know, it, it gave you the goosebumps. And just thinking about the game itself, you know, and that's why prior to going across to Sweden, obviously. Sir Alex has spoken to Steen about you know, what he did with Celtic when they went to Lisbon and stuff. And, and Sir Alex knew he wanted us away for like away for everything, you know, so we could be nice and relaxed and uh, take our mind off of the gear of itself. But we we're staying in a place called the Farza Motel, you know, and it was like, where is it So sort of think It was in the middle of a forest, away for everything. And uh, But that's the way it was, you know, but it was good and we were well prepared. The, the women were staying in the Europa Hotel in the centre of Gothenburg. They were living at large and we were in the, in the middle of a forest. <laughs> yeah. proper um, preparation, you know, we knew we were across there to do a job and yeah. uh, the job was to go out there, and don't leave anything behind. They used to say, enjoy it. Enjoy it first and foremost, off the part thinking, have did a bit more out there and give your all for your teammates, for the football club and, and most importantly for the fun. And that's what we did. You know, that's what we did.
1: Did, um, Sir Alex, did he tend to announce teams on,
7: you know, in advance of the day of the game itself? Yeah, sometimes, you know, sometimes I think you like guys to try and get a, a good night's sleep prior to games. Now, sometimes he wouldn't uh, name a side um, half an hour before kickoff. you know, just, Kept you waiting at times, you know, but we knew who was playing prior to the game in, in Gothenburg, and uh, it was just a case of everybody accepting, you know, the, who the starting 11 was going to be and the substitutes. And, you know, again, even prior to the game, we went across a lovely sunny evening, we trained on the park, it was great. And then on the day of the game, it never stopped raining. And at one point, there was actually talk them the game back 24 hours because Aye. there was so much water lying and when we went out on the park the referee was out testing the surface and the ball was just like it was like hitting the puddles and just like splat as you see on, the, on the, the television the ball wasn't rolling across the surface you had to sort of like flick it up and kick it and that's why they, they got the ball you know I like try to play it back the gym and the water got hold of the ball and it sort of stuck and then they came to the striker down, and that was it. Um, no, just, I mean, we were there, we knew we had a job to do, and it was a typical Scottish night. Well, it was probably worse than a Scottish night, you know, the wet weather and not, but we knew it was a big occasion, and we we're out there to do our best, not let ourselves down and the fans down, and, and that's what the boys did. They were magnificent.
1: Yeah, talking about the occasion and talk about the fans. That- Heading out onto the Ulivet pitch for the warm ups, just seeing the masses of Aberdeen fans who've made that journey to Sweden. What's just, I mean, and and as an Aberdeen fan yourself, that must just be a special moment.
7: I think there was about 15,000 20,000 supporters there. I mean, the majority of the people in in the stadium were wearing red. It was fantastic to see it when you were out here because, you know, you're playing in Europe and it's like playing in a home game. You know because they had a, a little section of uh Madrid supporters, but the majority of fans in the stadium, as I say, were all Aberdeen fans, and it was it was great to see. You know, it, it gives you the goosebumps, but it also gives you a, a that wee bit of extra in, inside yourself to go out there and really give your all. You know,
1: watching from the bench, what can you remember about Eric Black's goal after just six minutes? It's another well worked. Set piece from the training ground.
7: The, the corner kick, it was one of these. I worked from a big Alec coming late for the bar. put his header on it, and it was sort of, it was blocked and sort of ricocheted to Eric. Eric got into it first and just turned it on back onto goal, and it was in the back of the net, you know. And it was, it was, it was, it was no more than we deserved because we started the game so well, yeah. you know, and we had, we had other opportunities. And I really, as I say, I really thought that over oh, the 90 minutes, could Have seen us possibly winning a game two, maybe even three nil, you know. Nice. But it obviously didn't turn out that way. But we still had the the, the the belief that they equalized that mm-hmm. we're still good enough to win the game and able to win the game. And that's why we kept probing and creating chance after chance. But it took us still extra time to get the winning goal.
1: Well, hey, it's just as well it wasn't two or three nil because then we don't get to talk about what comes. In a minute You know Well too I might have never even gone. <laughs> <laughs> so You know uh, Juanito equalises From the penalty spot After Alex's back pass Gets caught up In the, the sodden and turf In the second half You kind of touched on it We dominate the game But that second goal Is just not Just not coming yeah. And I think I read somewhere I, I can't remember which book It was I think it's one of Sir Alex's um, I think he had the view That maybe on the bench The Spaniards were content To settle for extra time And penalties perhaps Because at that point no team from uh, Britain had ever won in a penalty shootout in a European final. So with two minutes of normal time left, Eric Black's hooked. Manager turns to yourself. What's his instructions to you and what's going through your mind at that moment in time? Well,
7: actually, all he said to me was to go out, enjoy it, like the length in the park, you know, but um, the infamous, you know, the stick I got about it because as you're coming on you're sort of cold you're trying to get your body temperature up and get into the pace of the game it was so difficult because the surface was mm-hmm. wet the ball wasn't moving and was hardly getting a touch of the ball so I found myself lifting further and further back into sort of the midfield area to try and get touches of the ball and he was screaming at me he went get up up <laughs> and back uh, and eventually I thought okay I better do what I'm told you know so um then, you know, I started, I, I kept the length in, in the park, you know. But it was just what to get involved, you know, more than anything else and get a touch of the ball.
1: It's hard, isn't it? I mean, like, I've had my fair share of coming off the bench and it's it's hard, especially when it's in this type of game and the pitch is terrible
7: and it's was just... It was. The pitch was absolutely terrible, you know. It just didn't suit for being able to run with the ball. For me especially, because I could run. That was yeah. the one thing about me. I was quick. You couldn't do it because the ball was sticking into your feet all the time because the water was holding the ball. You know you couldn't knock it out of your feet and knock it by somebody and run. You were always getting caught up in it, so it was difficult. But eventually, I, I managed to, I, as I say, get into the game. The body right. temperature I was up. Then I, I was really, I was, I was there. I was involved. You know,
1: first half extra time is pretty scrappy. It's fair to say the pitch is really beginning to sap more and more energy of a lot of tired legs all over the park before we get to the immortal 111th minute of the game. It's Peter Weir lost a fine ball, went to the path of Mark McGee on the left-hand flank. A lot of people won't notice this, but when the ball leaves Peter Weir's foot, you're literally just crossing the halfway line at that mm-hmm. moment in time. Was it just in your mind at that point, I need to get up the park here as soon as I possibly can? Well,
7: I mean, looking at the actual play, you know, I mean, Peter would amazing. Is it a real little stem button sort of left? Area, but yeah. he, he he walked walked by a few players and then he clipped it up a line. Mark sort of had spun it out, out to sort of like a left wing area, and I thought to myself, well, Mark, you were never sure if he was going to beat the guy and then beat him again, you know. So, it was like I knew when I saw it, and I looked in front of me. I was running down in a goal. I I was I was no uh, Madrid defenders with me. I just like all I could see was their goal and their goalkeeper, and I was still a considerable distance away for the goal. As the ball went down on the left-hand side, I was really focused on Mark but at the same time, making sure I was getting myself forward and, uh, and up into the box because I'm thinking to myself, does he get across it early? Does he get a double back and try and beat the guy again? And So I was really trying to watch Mark at the same time keep my eye on the goal as well. And by the time I got into the penalty box, I thought to myself, Get across his ball. When he did, the goalkeeper was like, his line. Yeah, he felt the goalkeeper was just a fraction slow in actually coming for the ball. And when he did decide to come for the cross, I could see the flight of the ball coming across. I could see him coming out, trying to get it. I knew he was never going to get it. So, effectively, for me, I, it was staring at an empty net. You know, I just basically let it hit my head and clicked it into an empty goal. That's what I did, you know. And uh, after that, it was jubilation. I picked myself up. I was, I got stuck for doing the star job. I, my hands were covered in mud, so I sort of wiped them on my shirt and run across to the, the side to sort of uh, wave to the supporters. And then the next minute, big doogie just grabbed me and flattened <laughs> me. You know? So but, um, it was just oh, It was it was amazing. It really was amazing. At the time, you don't really think about it because you're so caught up in the game. Yeah. You've just scored you've just scored the second goal, you're not sure if it's gonna be the winning goal. You know, it's great, we've got ourselves in front, but there's still a lot of football left to be played, so you've but then regroup and focus again and make sure that you didn't concede another goal and as you know, right the very death we nearly did. Absolutely.
1: I was gonna say, I mean, so we we hang on. Oh, before we jump on that just really quickly, I love this the fact that see some of the guys we speak to about their games they've played in, a lot of the guys sometimes they just when they when they're playing they just they can't remember anything about the game it's just flown by them. I love the fact that for you this is obviously just a completely Im- implanted now in your mind for the rest of the time what was happening how it all came about all that stuff I love that I, I love it. As you say we hold on for the final ten minutes including that last minute free kick that had to be retaken um, that flies just wide of the post and we've done it. Aberdeen Football Club have beaten the mighty Real Madrid in a European final. As an Aberdeen boy, an Aberdeen fan, when do you think it's sunken for you what a what, what we'd achieved as a squad, yeah. but for you individually
7: to have scored the winning goal? It's it's a question I get asked often and I give everybody the same answer. At the time we've just won the match, you know, and if the guys are about and we're cuddling each other and for me it never really sunk into me till the following day because once the game was finished we then head back to where we were staying the wife's follow us uh, and they're, they were staying in the Europa hotel in the centre of Gothenburg as I say living at large having a great time so once the final was finished It was up to the Farzak Motel, and it was really low key because we had an early flight back the next morning. So we had a a meal with with the the manager, the staff, the board. And after that, it was like everybody just went to bed, you know? Okay, one or two did sort of (laughs) stay up later. The majority of us were were in my bed because we knew we had an early start. So we're up early next morning, straight to Gothenburg Airport. And then we fly back in Aberdeen. And then we are starting to think about what we'd done the night before. And then as people standing on the roof at the airport. Mm-hmm. It's from the land. And then we we're, we're get into the open top outside the airport. And as we pull away from the airport, As people lining the streets of the airport. You no, know? yeah. And then you start sparing in us. There's people there. And you come up um, Anderson Drive, line lining the streets there, then you head down uh, Anderson Drive towards the and Dart, the sort of Queens Road area, yep. again, people, people, then this is what I tell everybody, when we hit the top of uh, Union Street, Holborn Junction area, and we just turned on Union Street, it was like, wow, it, was like, it must have been about a quarter of a million on Union Street, you couldn't see Union Street, it was just a sea of I was people hanging out there, um, office blocks, you know, it was amazing. And then that's when I sort of had a moment myself and I was thinking, Oh, it's what we did the night before, and that's when it really hurt me. Mm-hmm. Oh, we actually scored the winning goal last night, and look what's happened, you know. So, um, great memories, great yeah, memories.
1: and looking back, in as well, now, I mean. How amazing is it that it's your goals that bookend that entire run to the trophy? It's the opening yeah. goal, the winner at Fir Park in the Scottish Cup in the third round in 82, which we spoke about in part one, to then bookend the whole journey with the winning goal in Gothenburg. I can't, I've been racking my brains the last like week and a bit to trying to think about, can I think of a similar scenario where someone's done that? And I can't come up with it. It's It probably has been done by somebody, but I can't think of who it would be by. Yeah. It's amazing when you think about it, isn't it? I know, I know. Even
7: to this day, it's still the the goal at Park, still the still quickest Aye. goal in the history of the Scottish Cup. I uh, didn't Adam really, Adam really nearly done it in the, the semi-final against Hibs. He, I think he was 13 seconds or so. Aye. But, um, yeah, a little did we know at the time where that journey would take us, you know. It's just, it's amazing to look back. And of course,
1: the season's not finished yet. Uh, a 5-0 hammer in the Hibs on the following Saturday... In front of 24,000, you, rounds the league campaign off. We touched a bit earlier when we end up finishing joint second, one point behind Dundee United, who take advantage of, I think, our European exploits to win their yeah. first and only league title. And then the season finishes off the following week at Hamden. A fairly drab 90 minutes at Hamden finishes goalless before Eric Black pops up with the winner yeah. in extra time, heading home a deflected effort from Mark McGee. You come off the bench for Peter Weir in that one. The game is effectively. Famous now more for the reaction of the manager after the game more than anything yeah. else. What's the reaction in the dressing room when you hear this, given the kind of like unbelievable season you guys have all produced?
7: Well, I think, you know, as you say, it was so many days prior to 10 days or whatever it was, we just lifted the Scott and Gothenburg, you know, and now we're now playing in uh Scottish Cup final, you know, another major final. Trying to lift yourself up that level again—it was, it was really very very difficult, you know. And well, as you say, the infamous—the uh, manager slaughtered us, you know, in national television. Absolutely bloody disgrace of our performance, you know. And the thing was, even after the game in the dressing room, it's just like we really lost it. Finally, yeah. You know. And then we were staying in the, the old and St uh, Andrews in open room up there. And again, we would have thought we'd lost the final. In the evening, in the ballroom, when we went down for our meal, it was just silent. Really? You know, really, really si- silent. And uh, Donald stood up and said, "Come well, on, everybody, let's enjoy ourselves. We'll want a cup. You know, it was a sheer fact that the manager had come out and slaughtered us all and." Like national television, and then the next morning it was front page of the papers and that. And to be fair, I mean, they take us in and say yeah. to us look, apologise, I we I really shouldn't have done that, you know. But we set ourselves standards here, and we fell well below the standards that we set, and I expected more from you, you know. So that's just the way it was, you know. It was, it was just a board winner, it was yeah. a board winner, and. Unfortunately These things happen. at the time Fortunately We'll win the cup You know
1: Can't kind of complain too much Can you no, and yeah. It's interesting on, on, on that new documentary I say new It's been out for what, 18 months now or whatever as well There's clearly something else Going on there in the background That I think even Sir Alex admits to About the fact that He really wanted to You know After winning the cup Winner's cup He really wants to show Rangers That you know we yeah. were by far and away the best side in the country and all that kind of stuff, and it maybe takes over. And you know, he admits in the documentary as well he got that he got that wrong the way that he reacted to that. Um, but it's an unbelievable season. That's the 1982, 1983 season taken care of. I feel like we could sit and talk about that season forever more. But um, John, thanks again for your time. We'll catch up with you for one final time to cover the remainder of your time with the Dons and your career. But thanks again, John. Catch you next time. No problem. Be let a pal. Cheers, man. And that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow whatever on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week for episode 44 where Gavin and Graham will take a look back at our final week of action. I'm using action in the loosest possible sense of the word in the SPFL Premiership, our games against the two Saints. We'll bring you all of our usual coverage of the women's team and the young team before we round things off with part three of our exclusive in-depth conversation with john hewitt we we'll look forward to seeing you then stand free.
0: this episode of the abz football podcast is brought to you by mcginty's meal and ale your home of live sports and hearty scottish food Situated at 504 Union Street, it's a great location for your pre- and post-match refreshments with taxi rank and bus stops on the doorstep. From casual catch-ups with your friends, to live music and celebrity sportsman's lunches, McGinty's has had a place in the heart of many dandy dons for the past 13 years.